For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts. Talking about weather-related stories in Europe, uh, depends which paper you pick up this morning. Like, for instance, the Mirror says, Rome burns 45 degrees Celsius. Uh, you never know who might be listening to me overseas in the likes of Turkey or Rome or Spain or Greece or places like that. What is the temperature like? Text 0868104106. What kind of heat have you been getting? They're calling it killer temperatures. Soar in Italy and Spain with a heat wave heading eastwards. That's <laughs> the opposite way to us. We could do with maybe a little lick off the back of it. Not the whole intense heat wave, but maybe a small bit. But no, but seriously, like Europe hopes that the weather um, will quell some way because this morning's UK Times says uh, weather heat edging uh, towards 50 degrees Celsius. So between 45 and 50 degrees, I suppose, depending where you are. Like, for instance, the mirror this morning is saying a blistering heat wave named after a hound of hell by the name of Cerberus. Hope I'm pronouncing the hound's name correctly, Cerberus. The hound of hell is sweeping uh, across uh, southern Europe and a 44-year-old construction worker collapsed by the side of the road uh, on Tuesday and died. Spain sweltering yesterday um, with temperatures of at least 35 degrees and climbing towards 45. In Greece, 44 degrees. They've banned access to nature reserves and forests to reduce the risk of wildfire that people will be lighting fires for picnics and whatever, and everything is tinder dry. Air-conditioned areas in public buildings have been opened for the public to shelter from the heat. Uh, I love a bit of sunshine, but I just couldn't hack anything above 28 or 29 degrees. It's just not me. But certainly, 45 to 50 degrees, you couldn't go out in that. You certainly couldn't go out in the middle of the day. She couldn't. Uh, of course, the RT debacle continues to roll on. Not much to be added to this at this stage. If there are any updates with regards to what happens in the coming days, well and good. I'll possibly return to it then. Uh, I will read out some more texts, however, from the past couple of days. But the Independent this morning says RT's staff are split on whether Tuberty will return to the airwaves or not. Uh, his card might be somewhat weakened by the fact that he no longer presents the Late Late Show. And I suppose technically he's only on air five hours a week, an hour every day. The bookies are not um, um, giving much hope of him coming back towards you. I see Boyle Sports are giving 11 to 2 available on him returning to the RTU airwaves. That kind of odds would suggest that the bookies think that he won't. Um, nor does George Hook, actually, um, who was interviewed yesterday uh, by one or two of the newspapers where he said that he thinks it's unlikely as well uh, that Ryan Tuberty will return uh, on air. Apparently almost 100,000 people tuned in to watch uh, Tuberty and Kelly being grilled by the public accounts. Um, I, I, I think that's a low figure considering it was such a big, huge talking. But I guess people just didn't have the time. They had other things to be do- doing. Um, it's interesting, though, because here we are, nonetheless, with RTE still with the handout and the begging ball out because they're looking for 40 million of a bailout for the government, from the government. And, of course, we see how extravagant they have been down through the years with how they spend the money they had in the first place and what they spent it on. And, of course, you have 1,800 people uh, working within RTE. I don't see anybody wondering um, about that figure of 1,800 people working or supposedly working. I'm quite sure that a lot of them are, but for years many are suggesting not everybody's working in there. Um, it's bizarre, actually, because you have Network 2 that is just full of repeats 
an awful lot of the shows that do make it onto RTE are commissioned and paid for by RTE to outside production agencies and companies. So what does everybody actually do? Uh, GAA Go, GAGO, makes the front of the mail today. They never got the consumer watchdog clearance to do what they did. You may not know this, but GAA and RTE first came together to put on this GAGO venture uh, so that people overseas could watch matches. But then, of course, they twigged, this is actually a great idea. Why don't we get everybody to pay to watch hurling and football? And they never got permission for that. They just went on, as we'd say in hurling parlance, on a solo run. Uh, and I suppose now it's too late to put the genie back in the box. What do you think? Um, here's, a court, here's a court case that's rolling out uh, in, 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 on Leaside and will for a number of weeks. And it goes back to 1981. I remember it. Um, it was uh, a case that involved the murder of a woman whose body was found in a wooded area 42 years ago down in the viewing point of Shippool Woods near Inishannon. Um, she was found six days after she went missing. Do you remember it? It was in 1980, in 1981. Now, I remember it because I used to gig in Kinsale an awful lot uh, across the summer of 81. I used to play uh, the White Lady and I used to play uh, other establishments down there. Um, and we'd be going up and down every weekend. And I remember the weekend that the body was discovered in the woods. And, you know, for, for months afterwards, I was often driving past it, uh, usually at night, um, usually in the dark and wondering, my God almighty, that poor woman who died in there. And of course, it was an unsolved crime um, and still remains to be unsolved. The reason I mention now is that a 74-year-old man will go on trial today accused of murdering that woman whose body was found in that wood 42 years ago, June of 1981. Um, it's a man by the name of Noel Long from Passage West and he was arraigned before the Central Criminal Court yesterday. So that's a case we'll keep an eye on in the coming weeks. It's 42 years since the murder. be interesting to see why at this stage uh, there will be a trial and obviously there'll be an awful lot of information within that court case so we'll keep an eye on that. There's other issues in the courts today um, and, and you'd have to be in court to understand the full details as to why somebody would get a, um, a four-month suspended sentence um, for possession of heroin. But it's a bizarre drug-dealing case. It's a 68-year-old Dutchman who travelled from Cork to Dublin and back again, uh, supplying heroin out of his car. He claimed that he, he needed it for pain relief for his wife. That's why he had the heroin. But anyway, at 20 to 5 on the lower Glanmore Road of a day, um, a Garda observes a well-known drug dealer leaning in the window of a car. And the car had pulled in and the Garda could see the male driver had small plastic bags in his hand. And the guards believe that's diamorphin. Um, uh, he's a Dutch national. So it was before the courts. Um, and the defence was... That was for his wife. Um, I wasn't there, but small plastic bags in his hand, in the car, known drug dealer at the car. Judge said it merited a custodial sentence, but he says because of the circumstances. I'm not quite sure what circumstances he's referring to. Uh, he gives a €750 Euro fine for possession of heroin and a four-month suspended sentence for having it for sale or supply. What can I tell you, lads? What can I? I wasn't there. I'm just reading it from the court reports. Uh, suspended sentence for possession and supply of uh, heroin. Then there was a character who gave um, a bar, a, a member of bar staff in Dwyer's a dig, apparently. He punched a staff member. There was a dispute, actually, apparently, about the amount of change uh, he had been given. I mean, we want to be a right angry person now, wouldn't you? 
you want to have a lot going on now because you're arguing over change and results in you actually punching uh, the bar person. But that happened. A fellow called Clayton Lahoom from uh, Ballancolic carried out the assault at Dwyer's in Washington Street. Apparently, he brought 700 euro to the district court as a gesture of an apology. He pleaded guilty to the charge of assaulting the staff member during the incident. He got uh, a five-month suspended jail term uh, as well. There are less guards now, even though Blackrock and Mahan has absolutely exploded in population. And, of course, there's a lot more issues regarding criminal activity in all areas of Cork and Mahanism without that increase but yet there are less members of Mangarda Shikana down there than there was say uh, 10 years ago or even if you even look at last year um, they lost one guard that was never replaced at a time when Gardaí should be going up mind you they did make money we often talk of Gardaí being on duty for the likes of Live of the Marquis or Musgrave Park or the Garth Brooks gigs the guards get paid for that and it was much in the news about three weeks ago on this show when there was a huge amount of Gardaí out at the summer show the Gardaí are paid for that and just to let you know that um, they recouped 7.6 million euro from concert promoters sporting bodies the national ploughing championships and all sorts of things like that over the past 12 months so that's the kind of money that gets paid to on Gardaí when they're called to police events in this case nearly 8 million euro and we have um, a lovely story making this morning's examiner not lovely to people who themselves have nowhere to live or indeed perhaps those that have lived in, in shocking, appalling city council landlord properties. But a mother and son make the front of the echo today because they have been given their modular house down in Mahan. They spent over a year in a hotel. They got the keys to their new Mahan home and now can get on with making the dinner again in their own kitchen because that's what Yulia Kenyuka and her 15-year-old son really missed. Now, he is already an Irish citizen, her son, but he grew up in Ukraine, but they were quite emotional uh, 16 months on from the beginning of their nightmare of fleeing Ukraine. And she says she's especially missing preparing dinner, sitting around the kitchen table at mealtimes because she couldn't do all any of that when she lived in a hotel. Sarah Horgan talks in front of the front of the Echo today. And Yulia says, before we took our food back up to our room in boxes and now we can cook our own dinners in her own kitchen. I know that the Hugh Edwards story is big news in the UK. Not so sure that it's such big news that it would be making the front of the Irish version of the mirror, but it does nonetheless. He's in hospital. Uh, his wife named him yesterday. Police are saying there's no crime committed, whether it's a crime or not. You have to ask yourself if the question is it the right thing to be doing. Uh, but um, the papers this morning say that the man is unwell. Um, and uh, the real question now should be asked of the son, some are suggesting, for running the story in the first place. So it's a story that is rolling out across the water and seems to be some interest here as well. The papers also talk about, um, often wonder about stories like this, shortage of uh, second-hand cars, shortage of um, pre-owned cars. But yet if you look at the different garages around the city and the suburbs, there's loads of them. Loads of them. Um, but they're saying that the price of second-hand cars now is up 79% um, higher than it was before the pandemic. Um, we're looking at things like on Dundee and Carzone and stuff like that. And they look at petrol and diesel. And now you're starting to see a lot of second-hand electric and hybrids. I don't know, has it all got to do with the lack of chips coming out of China, or is it just pure greed? Um, actually, you talk about chips and you're talking about uh, modern technology. Um, the tennis presenter and former tennis star Annabel Croft 
uh, makes the papers this morning because she said a swipe at Wimbledon. And I love her bravery, actually, because Wimbledon have introduced AI technology. They don't have real commentators commentating and doing their thing on the outside courts, telling people, you know, the voice highlights that they do on the outside courts. There's no commentator present. Instead, Wimbledon are using AI. And she says that it is an insult to my profession and killing humanity. I love when people uh, come out and say how they feel without fear of anybody giving them grief. Um, And actually, it's very interesting because the line calling in Wimbledon this year is absolutely atrocious. I've never seen it so bad in years. I don't know whether it's to do with the surface or the problems with regards to the dryness of the ground and and the lines and the chalk not being properly visible but the line calling is atrocious uh, and they're going to have to do something about that because um, they really should be using Hawkeye and that would take all of the gamble out of it uh, talking about atrocious uh, I know we talk about the education system in Ireland with regards to sex education some people is too far too fast the little story in the, in the sun this morning says that parents are more worried talking to their children about maths as in sums and arithmetic than they are about sex education they get the heebie-jeebies if it has anything to do with a sum or a mathematical problem that their son or daughter is having. We've all been there, haven't we? And this story, actually, um, if you're a purist, like, say, I would be, it's Americano all the way, all the way, from time to time, maybe uh, um, a flat white, but never one of the Frappuccinos or Frappas. Give me another few names there, uh, Claire, for the different funky doodle type things that people are drinking now. Besides frappuccinos and like, cappuccinos. I would be very similar to you. Love my coffee. Just, you know, the espresso and a bit of hot milk, like flat white or whatever. No milk. Just just coffee. Uh, yeah, no problem, no problem. But like a lot of these kind of really high sugary ones, they're really popular these days and they have this chocolate in them and syrups and you can get almond and you can get vanilla and they cost a bomb okay. as well. The chocolate fudge brownie frappamaca. Ah, That's a thing, is isn't it? Is there coffee in that? There probably is some <laughs> coffee in it. It has nearly 11 teaspoons of no, sugar. really? Yeah. Hold on a second. The Belgian chocolate and hazelnut frappe creme doesn't have milk in it. It's a thing called oat milk. Ah. Another travesty. Yeah. That's got 11 teaspoons of sugar in it. Oh, no. The Starbucks caramel frappuccino with semi-skimmed milk has 12 <laughs> teaspoons of sugar in it. Would you be better off having a, a pint of Coke nearly? <laughs> There's eight and a half teaspoons in a Coke. In a can of Coke? Yeah. So that means that Oh my god! A thirty-three, a liter. You know the three hundred thirty-three. Yeah, the three thirty. So the high street iced coffees contain more sugar than Coca-Cola. I believe it, and probably not as nice a taste either. Well, I mean, they must be sweet as hell. I'd oh, I'd rather a can of Coke over that now. Okay. I, I'd get my sugar out of that one. Okay, just by the way, in case you do enjoy them and you're wondering why your waistline is getting fatter and <laughs> you're getting more sluggish and you can't get out of bed in the morning, you're feeling half asleep in the middle of the afternoon, but. Thank you. Glad you're here. I want to bring something up. Barbie. Barbie. Hi, Barbie. Hi, Ken. Hi, Barbie. Hi, Barbie. Hi, Barbie. Hi, Barbie. Hi, Barbie. Hi, Barbie. I've lost the will to live already. I can. Is that the promo? Yeah. I thought I might stay over tonight. Why? Because we're girlfriend, boyfriend. To do what? Now, I'm actually not sure. <laughs> Makes the papers this morning yes. because they rolled out the pink carpet yes, for it. They did. For who is it? Margot Robbie. Margot Robbie, Ryan Gosling. There's actually one of those, it's one of those ensemble casts, so there's loads of actors that you'd know in there. 
Who would want to watch this in their right mind? Me. Why? It just looks really fun. They, they've been doing really good promos for this movie. It's just it's everywhere dumb. on social media. It's Why dumb. do you think it's dumb? Um, it's a doll. Yeah. Um, and that in itself is not real world. How is this empowering women or young women to say that this kind of a... F- I mean, does Barbie actually ha- get up in the morning, go to work, work hard, Nine make a five. living, <laughs> go to college, get a degree? Well, what, see, what does Barbie do? I think that this is what this movie is about. So I've seen a few of the teaser trailers and I don't like... I don't like... I like going into a movie not knowing too much. So, But what I have seen from what the plot line of this is going to be is that Barbie is living in her dream world in her pink house. What is her loving, dream like, world though? It's 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 all of the Barbie toys that that us girls would have had as children. So like the Barbie summer house, the Barbie slide, the Barbie pool, you know, the Barbie pony, all this How kind of stuff. How does she pay for all of those things? It's it's Barbie How does Barbie world? pay for these I things? I don't know, Neil. But, but, but like what this movie is about is that she goes into the real world. So Good. she comes into our world. She gets world, a rude awakening. And she gets a rude awakening as to what life is like living as a human. And I think Ken ends up going with her. And I think that it just... What does Ken do? Apart from hang on, <laughs> Ken is a bit of a sidekick, really. I don't know. I think See, this movie does he is work like give a bit more of a three dimensional character to them, though. Uh, not as far as I know. So they don't do anything. But I think so, they will in this movie. I think it's going to go deeper than you think, and I think you should go and see. How can it go deep? You should. They don't have a brain in their head. Where is their deep in somebody who's just so vacuous <laughs> that they live in a pink world with a pink car and a big swimming pool and change their clothes fifteen or twenty times yeah, a day? Yeah, I know. And she's got the world know, going. And do you know how Barbie's always on her tippy toes? Why? You know. And I think she gets when she flat properly. She gets flat-footed when she comes into the real world. She gets a hit into the real world. We are not supposed to take this seriously, then, are we? You must suspend belief. I have a sneaky feeling that this movie is being portrayed as like what you're saying bit of fun bit of pink bit of laughter bit of nothing and it's going to (laughs) but it'll turn into something I think it'll have a good message to it at the end I think it will you have to go and find out the message is don't end up young girls like Barbie yeah maybe or maybe Barbie's coming into the 21st century a bit more or it is not possible to live a life like unless you're a blogger and an influencer maybe but in the real world um, it's a scary place. It is, yeah. So why are we teaching this message to young people that actually, you know, you know Barbie exists and you two can... Maybe they're not. But you I think two can have opposite. a life like Barbie. I think it's the opposite that's happening, is that Barbie's coming from her dream world into our real world. Maybe she's just... You've been brainwashed. I have this not. This money. <laughs> I'm telling you now, go see it with your mocha frappa cappuccino and you'll have a great day. You'll have a great day. I haven't a notion go on, of it. Go on. I have a notion of it. Um, but it, when is it out? The 21st of July. What is the story with Mission Impossible? What you yes. did go to see last I night. I went to see it last night. And there it is now. And I really liked it. I love Mission Impossible. And I think those I kind of movies them. are great on the big screen. All the like You can't watch it on the TV. I agree. I don't think it's as impactful. Now it's a long movie. It was like two hours, 50 minutes. Brilliant, I love it. But the I couldn't even go to the bathroom. I was just like really into it. And like I was telling you before, Tom Cruise does all his own stunts and things like that. And um, Isn't it amazing that oh he's not God. dead? Unbelievable. Like, he is. He is Ethan Hunt in real life. <laughs> he's doing all his own stunts and everything like that. And I suppose to some extent, 
You need to suspend belief as well for Mission Impossible, don't you? Because yeah. that's not really real world stuff no, either. No, and I think you can kind of get bogged down in details these kind of movies and say, no, that's not realistic or like, ah, that'd never happen. Or, but you just you just need to take for what it is, get really into the spirit of it. The, the action sequences are amazing. Uh, there's some amazing women at the forefront, a lot of the action scenes as well and a lot of the main kind of characters like protagonists, antagonists. Was it busy really the, the show last night? Yeah, it was. I went to Middleton. There was about, I'd say there was about 30 there, I'd say. How long was it? Two hours, 50. I might go to that later Do? on today. And it's only part one. So there's actually a part two. Oh, I mean, it's unfinished. Yeah. So you're on the hate edge that. of your seat. I when know, is the next one? Next year. Ah, I hate that. I know, I know. But look. Tell me the end. No. <laughs> If you go see Barbie, maybe. <laughs> okay, and then, of course, the man who can do no wrong, oh, Killian Murphy. What a Oppenheimer. What What's a Oppenheimer act? about? So it's about Mr. Oppenheimer, who is known as the father of the atomic bomb. So it's another Christopher Nolan one. He did Batman. He did uh, Inception. Did When's it out? Is it out soon? 21st July, same day as Barbie. You can do a back-to-back. <laughs> a high to a low. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody would go to Barbie and go to Oppenheimer. Surely we'd have gone. You can be both. No, I wouldn't. You can be both. I promise. You can be both. What do you What do you eat at the cinema? I I like a medium combo: medium popcorn, medium coke. Fantastic. Maybe a couple of jellies. I hate the idea that Mission Impossible is unfinished. I really do. I know. No, it's I like a start, a middle, be... and an end. Everything has to be in its box. Well, you could wait until next year, but watch two of them. But no, get this one on the screen. The the, the, the action sequences are amazing. You'd have your your, your hearts in your throat for All right, appreciate it. it. Off you go. So <laughs> much obliged. We go Barbie, Mission Impossible, and Oppenheimer. What are your thoughts on our conversation regarding Barbie? Text 0868104106. To Neil Prenderville now. 0818 104 106. Cork's Red FM. Ah, yes. Thanks a lot. Somebody texted to say with regards to the viewing figures for the um, Tuberty uh, Kelly appearances, it was 100,000 on the player alone. Fair play to you. They don't have the figures for television yet. Okay, fair play. I didn't see it on the papers this morning, but it's 100,000 uh, online. Text 0868104106. Forget about Barbie. Look at Oppenheimer, a Cork actor leading a cast of Who's Who in Hollywood and a story about a man who has affected us all, says Paddy. Well said. Can't wait for Oppenheimer. Of that you can be sure. Right, to the phone lines we go in a moment. Text 0868104106. And I wanted to go back and talk about Japanese imports and the theft of them because it is just, there's an unmerciful spate of robberies at the moment. And from one of the suburbs of Cork, I received a letter by post. It says, firstly, I'd like to say that we uh, thoroughly enjoy your show. This letter is about the ongoing recent spate of car theft and joyriding and drug dealing and criminality in the Toker area by gangs of teenagers, 15 plus, and indeed older teenagers that call themselves the T12 gang, taken from our air code in Toker. Um, They also call themselves Toker Hottest. Their videos go online on TikTok and the guards are aware of the videos, I'm led to believe. We saw at Dean Rock in Toker a young boy in a white car spinning the wheels on the grassy area where the bonfire would be and some young boys cheering him on, thinking that it was great that the car um, that the car is chasing the young boys around the grass. Uh, it was a stolen car. Um, he, they drove through the estate. It's obvious it's summertime and schools are closed. And it's only a matter of time out here before an innocent child or person is seriously injured. Kids can't play. Anyone living in this area will know the individuals driving the car and their families. I know you probably won't read this out, but the ferocious crash in Mitchellstown 
almost killed that innocent woman. Yes, it did. Uh, one young boy died there. Um, there was about five stolen cars involved in that general area that night. And the young boys and girls were all part of that T12 or Toker hottest TikTok gang. Some of those boys are on 10 o'clock curfews and constantly breaking the curfews. And that's when the cars are being stolen. The guards are aware that they're breaking their curfews, but I know the guards can only call once. Really? Uh, they're out of control. Parents are not interested in what their children do. They don't care what damage they're doing to other people's property as long as it's not theirs. They don't care about the community they're living in. Um, They enjoy the fact that the guards' hands are tied uh, because of the kids' ages. And people are terrified in the Toka area that an innocent person will get hurt. The stolen cars are used for dealing hard drugs around the place as well as joyriding at night. They've been used um, because of their age and their sentences for dealing, if any, will be very less, much less. Uh, Maybe the parents' children's allowance should be stopped. Let the parents pay for the damage their sons, or indeed sometimes daughters, are causing. And maybe then, when they go to bed at night, they'll be quick enough to stop their children leaving the home at one, two, three in the morning. What parents don't know, what parent doesn't know where their child is at night? Lock the doors, take the keys. It's as simple as that. Thanks for taking to read. Re, thanks for taking the time to read this letter out. Just call me a concerned toker citizen. Now, my, thank you for that. That was a handwritten, handwritten letter. So uh, my apologies if I stumbled over portions of it. But to those cars, right? The Japanese import. Uh, I did mention on the air and spoke with a girl whose cars. Um, and in case you didn't remember, she had like four or five different cars, either hers or her mother's, stolen, attempted break, break-ins, smashed windows on one or two occasions, stolen. And those cars were Japanese imports. Remember asking her uh, if she had known at the time that they didn't have an immobilizer, um, would she have bought the car? So that was one of the conversations from last week. But immobilizers and Jap imports or Japanese imports. Kevin Hennessy runs trackandtrace.ie and has the backstory on uh, immobilizers and the Japanese imports, why they don't have immobilizers, why they don't have alarm systems and why they're so popular in this part of the world. Kevin, good morning. Yeah, hi, good morning, Neil. What is, what's, a mob, what's an immobilizer? Um, an immobilizer is a unit that when the vehicle is manufactured, it's put in by the manufacturer that the key speaks to the ECU. And when the key recognizes the code, it's an encrypted code that it sends to the ECU, it then gives it permission to start the vehicle. And why do these cars that are coming in and have been for many, many years, known as Japanese imports, not have these immobilizers? Well, back in 95 or 96, um, there was a European directive passed that all new vehicles made in Europe or imported to Europe had to have an immobilizer fitted from the manufacturer and some sort of an alarm system. But that is not required in Asia. So the issue is that you have importers bringing in shiploads of these Japanese vehicles and the majority of them don't have an immobilizer fitted. Okay. Now, you can get it fitted, and some of the importers do fit them here before they sell them on their forecourts. But, what, but why, but just before I get to that, but why don't the Malaysian cars or the Japanese cars or many of the Asian countries, why don't they, all, through all of these decades, when they make motor cars, put immobilizers in them? Or, or do, they have, do they have alarm systems? 
Um, no, I mean, look, the culture is different. You're totally dealing with a different culture, and you know, it's not just a slap in the arm if you uh, get caught stealing a car. I mean, here they don't even get the slap in the arm. It's a major offence down there, and my God, they will not steal a vehicle. So it's not really required down there, you know, because the after effect of what somebody is going to get from it, especially kids and that, you know. What would they get? Well, they're normally, I mean, I've travelled Asia a lot and still do, but normally they're put into like a military school. Anybody under the age of, uh, I think it's 17, um, first thing is their phone is taken off them. They're put into a military school for three months. They're not allowed any visitation, whether it's Father's Day, Mother's Day, or a debt in the family. Um, they're given a uniform that they put on. They're put out in the mornings to track and to run and to do whatever. And they're, they're taught discipline and respect. And that's what's lacking here is the respect and discipline. A lot of people listening to what you've just said would perhaps like to see that in this part of the world, particularly the letter writer from the Toker area with regards to the gangs who are robbing cars, joyriding them, crashing them, um, and indeed in the case of Mitchellstown, leading to death. Um, And even the cars that are being made now in countries like that, are they now being fitted with the mobilisers? No, still not to this day. Okay. You can you can be in Bangkok and buy a brand new car and it won't have it, but it, it's not required and it's not a law. But if they manufacture a car in Japan and it's exported into Europe, then it has to have it by law. Okay. It's a requirement. So, they, so, they, so they come here from Asian countries or say from Japan. What what are the what are the do you know, you may not even know this. What are the popular brands? Is it like Toyota for instance? Is it Nissan? Is it cars like that? Yeah, what's very popular is Honda, um, because Honda is a Japanese car and it's very expensive here, but it's not that expensive in Japan, so it's a very popular car there. But yeah, you get your share of Toyota and Nissan as well. Um, but I would think the majority are for what you see around, you see in the forecourts, a lot of them are Hondas, you know. Okay. And do they come obviously by sea in, in large quantities, is it? Correct. Yeah, you would have... You know, some of the big car companies in Cork that would have their own ships on the water and they would absolutely fill it to the brim. There could be six, eight hundred vehicles on it and it will leave Japan and arrive into Dublin port. Where would, they be, where would they be bought? Are they bought at auction in Japan, car auctions or what? Yeah, they're bought in auctions and these guys have spotters out there, you know, that are working full time buying vehicles. And there are websites. You can go on a website now yourself and you can look to buy a car in Japan and there's shippers there that will put it on the ship for you and do the whole lot. You know? So the attraction and then to a gang like the T12 is that when they see the cars you're describing outside people's doors parked up, they know it doesn't have an immobilizer or an alarm. Well, they're presuming it doesn't because, you know, the owner didn't get one fitted as an aftermarket, you know, product on it. I mean, what people don't realize is their vehicle is their second biggest investment that they'll spend in their life. Normally their house is the first. But yes, they buy the vehicle knowing there's no immobilizer in it. Some of them don't know, but it should be a question they're asking the dealers. And they don't go out and spend a few hundreds to put an immobilizer aftermarket one installed into but, the vehicle. But even if they did, Kevin... The joyrider or the thief or the thug will still smash it up trying to get into it, then realise it has an immobiliser and leave it, but have damaged it at the same time. Correct. So what they should technically do is fit an alarm to the car as well. So if they break the small window to get in, the alarm goes off and then they normally move on, they run. So you've only got the damage of a small broken window. Did I hear that Kiris fit immobilisers to their Japanese imports? 
Yeah, the majority of them do. There's a very good lad in Cork there. I don't know if I can mention him. Absolutely, uh, please do. Um, Big O'Leary support for Cork business. O'Leary? Yeah, O'Leary Auto Protective there down in Paladuff in, I think, SciTech Industrial Estate. Um, they do a lot of the work for Perry's when they come in. They're lining up outside and they install a lot of the aftermarket stuff. You have to remember the radio has to be changed too because the frequency is different out there. Yeah. And uh, so is they it, wouldn't be getting... it, it, is the attraction to them, so the radios to be changed, the immobilizers to be put in, an alarm system to be put yeah. in, is there great value in the Japanese import? Is that the attraction? Yeah, there's excellent value in them because they're bought so cheap down there, brought in here, paid the VRT by the dealer, and they're still cheap, much cheaper than they'll buy here on Dundee or any other car because of the taxes and everything else that's involved here. So, you know, for somebody buying it to put in the aftermarket soft change radio, put on reversing beepers, put in an alarm, put in a mobilizer, you know, they have a, a car with top spec. That what, would that, can well, what would that cost, though, if one were to do oh. all of what you just said? You should get O'Leary on the phone and ask him, but well, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't actually know what an alarm could cost. I know he does a lot for, for vans and stuff, you know, with builders that would have their tools in the back. And then we would have one of our trackers connected to it. So if somebody opens a door, the alarm would send the message to the tracker, which would then send it to the owner. And it's all within milliseconds. You okay. Know? But if you were to put an immobilizer in, an alarm system in, change <clears> the radio, <throat> do the things you're described, I don't know, think you'd much change out of a grand, would you? Yeah, you probably wouldn't. But you see, normally when they buy it, the radio will already be changed because it's, it's no good without a radio. So they're buying it with a, with a, a new radio installed from... This from this part of the world, you know, whoever's importing will they automatically put in a radio. But they, they they would spend money on putting a decent alarm into it and an immobiliser. And, you know, price-wise, you'd have to talk to O'Leary's, you know. One of the women that we spoke to last week, of oh. course, has been plagued with break-ins in her area of Blackpool. You offered to fit a track and trace system for her. Thank you for that. It's the reason I'm talking to you. What, what does that involve? Okay, so what I offered her was we can immobilize the engine remotely. Um, you know, there's an app on their phone. They drive home at night, they park in their driveway, and they just select the button engine off, and the engine's off. And if you go out and try and start it, you will not start it. But in the morning, they got to remember to turn it back on again. And it does full tracking, and it's live tracking because it's bouncing off our servers. What does live so, tracking means? Like if the car well, is, is gone, <clears throat> which it can't be in the first place, you'll always know on a map where it is, is it? You'll know where it is and you'll see it moving. Like we did something there with you guys six or a year and a half ago when the food trucks were going out to Ukraine, remember? Yeah. And we supplied you a, a link that people could log on live and see the truck actually moving. That's so right. That's they'll, right. have, they'll have a live um, track of the vehicle where, you know, people go online and they buy a tracker and they put a SIM card into it and they send a text message and it only sends them back a message where it is now. But in five minutes' time, it's gone from that area where... We actually track it full-time live. But if, if, for instance, you forget to turn it on and somebody drives off in your car or your Japanese import, do you get an alarm? Well, they can't drive off if you forget to turn it, turn it on. But if we say you forget to turn it off and they come in and they drive it out of your driveway, you can set an electronic fence around your house of 20 metres, 50 metres, and as soon as it backs out of your driveway, it's going to send you an alert to say yeah, your, your yeah, vehicle has yeah, moved. Yeah, yeah. And, and at that point, yeah. at, at that point, if you watch it, when they stop, you can shut the engine down. 
you know, so they can't restart it. It's 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 not advisable to shut it down while they're driving it because it's, it's it's dangerous. But when they actually stop, if they stop in a garage or they stop in a field, you can just engine off and the engine will go off. And, they'll and all of this again. is handled by the app on your phone, the track and trace app. Correct. Yeah. And who yeah. do you fit these systems for? Uh, a lot of people I couldn't mention, but like... One of our big customers that we would do a lot with would be Carney Coaches. I'm sure you're aware of that. Yeah, we work with them. Um, Carney sends a lot of coaches international. They could be out in Austria, UK, France, and, of course, all over Ireland, doing tours, bringing bands, bringing soccer teams. So, But, like, they're not just watching their drivers. They're watching their fleet. They're making sure their fleet's at the ferries in time and, you know, they're at a concert to pick up in time or to drop off. But they're doing the full maintenance of their vehicle, too, because they know – the last time they changed the oil, how many miles it's done since, and it's all done remotely. Yeah, 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 yeah. And if you, you were to, if you were to fit a track and trace system to a car or a Japanese import, what kind of expense are we talking about? Well, you know, the the initial expense is less than a hundred euros, but there is a monthly charge depending on what they want on there because you're using our servers and our SIM card. So you, they're talking anywhere between it could be ten or twelve euros a month. But, like, you've got to remember, if you go down to the chipper in the chip wagon, you won't get fresh cotton chips for fourteen ninety nine. <laughs> That's true. You know, and, and it's 12 euros for a month if they want to mobilize the engine and everything else. That's so, true. That's true. You know, people don't actually look at the real picture and the cost of stuff, you know what I mean? But, but what if these gangs get wise and just rip out your tech? Will they, will they know where it's fitted? They wouldn't know where it's fitted, but if they do, they'll be at it too long to get to it. And by the time they do rip it out, they're probably going to rip other wiring too, and they'll never start the car. Yeah, I know. I know what you're saying. The majority of them, we had a situation about 12 months ago where it was an organized gang from an Eastern European country that came over, and there was two Mercedes Sprinters belonged to a company in Cork involved, and they were parked next to each other. And we got a tracker in one of them and they had to take the other one away. So we never got the tracker into the second one. We were waiting for a phone call and the second one was stolen. But the one with the tracker was left there. So it what, initially, what initially happened was these guys were watching this company for these. They were probably made to order and they came in and they took a picture of the VIN number on the windshield on the bottom right hand side. And they went back to the Eastern European country and they had a key cut for it. So they got the key, they came back, they went into the yard at night and they actually had a scanner to see if there was a tracker on the vehicle. And the one that we did showed up there was a tracker on it, so they left it, but they took the other one. So what happened to that Mercedes when it was taken? It ended up down in West Cork and it was broken up. And then why is it broken up? For parts. And where do the Um, parts go? They go all over the place, you know, um... They were the, the people involved at the time. The gang were captured by the guards and they were interviewed. And the guy, you know, he, he told them the story. They said, why didn't you take the other one? They said, oh, there's a tracker fitted to it. Wow. But then they, wow. they actually busted the place in West Cork where they were breaking vehicles up and shipping out wings and bumpers and everything across the world, you know. They shipped them out in parts. But also I've heard of, of cars like those, high-end cars that are stolen and, then, and for some reason can get on a ferry and they're in, they're in Europe within a couple of days. 
Correct, and they're going down to Africa. There's a big issue in the United Kingdom at the moment with high-end vehicles being taken and going down to Uganda and places like that. Okay. I see an awful lot of text coming in on part of our earlier conversation just before we finish up where you're talking about uh, the change of the different cultures, Faye, in, in the East where you're talking about Malaysia or Japan or countries like Asian countries. Somebody says uh, they're breaking the law just getting a slap on the wrist, just arrest them and put them in detention centres here as well. Boot camps should be here also. Uh, but of course, the do-gooders would start crying that you can't do that to kids. Um, you, you're, you're, I hope you don't mind me saying that, you're married to a Thai national in Thailand, so you spend a lot of time there. Um, is, is it a very different culture with regards to safety? Yes, totally. I mean, without a doubt, you can. You don't have any bars near windows like you would have in South Africa. You can walk on the streets. You can stay out as late as you like. And they realise that tourists are, you know, the income for the country and they're respected and you're looked up to. But like as far as theft, I have never in all my years, you know, I remember one time in China, maybe 10, 12 years ago, my brother and we were watching, we were at a show and at night you walked the streets and there was some lady, you know, playing these cards out on a rug. You know, when they put the cards out and you pick the card and there was a private van pulled up like in a Mercedes people's carrier. Three guys jumped out in plain clothes. She was lifted her rug, her cards, and she was put right in to the back of the van and taken away. Are are they police? They're police. They're undercover, yeah. So they don't want to be seen out in front of tourists, you know. But the issue here is like, you know, these big others, it'll never happen. They think my boy wouldn't do that and Mm. my Johnny this. You know, they're all at it. They're learning in school. They're smoking fags. When they're brought into these boot camps, their phone is gone. It's smashed in front of them. There's no cigarettes. There's no smoking. There's no drinking. And my God, they come out of there a different person after yeah, three months. Yeah, yeah. so it's the, it's the fear of the consequences that makes the big difference, Exactly. Right? Okay, yeah, okay. Exactly. good stuff. Without good a stuff. Doubt. Okay, listen, um, we're a lot more clear now on that whole area, and I appreciate you taking the time to chat with us this morning. Uh, further no details can be had at um, www.trackandtrace.ie. Kevin, thanks so much. Mind yourself, Kevin okay. Hennessy. thank you. Uh, and thank Bye-bye. you again for doing that lovely, kind gesture uh, to that listener who was uh, robbed last week. Uh, quite an amount of te- text coming in on this under teenagers know that their parents can't physically discipline them. The guards' hands are tied as well. It's the law that needs to change. It's the only way that things will change. Teenagers, because of their age, can do what they want and get away with it because they know that they can. In my day, and I know people here hate to hear the term in my day, but in my day there was respect. The line was there and you didn't cross it. At the rate the law is at now, it's children hitting their parents and teachers instead of the way it was the other way around. And if they commit a crime, name and shame them. That's why the laws will have to change. Keep those texts coming. Text 0868104106. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818104106. Red FM. Hector says uh, drink and drugs among kids and antisocial behavior is a parental issue. So is juvenile crime in general and even knife crime. In primary schools in South London, they have metal detectors going into schools because of knife crime. Gang culture, here it comes. Gang culture, it's here already. Never mind about here it comes. I'll come back to this after 10 o'clock. Text 0868 106. Um, I was in town last night on a couple of occasions. I was dropping some people into corn store and then was picking them up later on. Uh, and the city was absolutely buzzing. It, you know, when the, when the city is, wet, is good, it's very, very good. Of course, when it's bad... It's rotten, but it's not the city's fault. Sometimes it's the, the people within the city. But last night, it was just a joy to behold. It was buzzing. 
I've never seen it so busy with people milling around and in and out of restaurants, in and out of pubs, sitting outside the roundy up around the corn store. It was absolutely fantastic. Drove up the South Mall and around onto Grand Parade. And who did I see there? With about 30 or 40 people all gathered around them. But the Lord Mayor, the great Kieran McCarthy, giving one of his city tours. And it was a joy to behold. And I, I was so proud of him. And I'm very proud of him as a, as a councillor and a historian anyway. But I'm delighted he's Lord Mayor because he's so... I'm not saying that other Lord Mayors in the past didn't love their city. Of course they did. But he has a particular fondness for it. And I bet, you know, as he was walking through the streets, I saw him later on at the end of the tour, walking up Corn Market Street in his civvies. And I was saying, there goes, there goes the Lord Mayor, Kieran McCarthy, just having given one of his fantastic city tours. And it was just a joyous thing. So I was really proud of the city last night and the people that were in it. All sorts of walks of life. And one of the amazing things I noticed is the, the really wide and varied dress sense that people have now. I mean, they dress in all sorts of different styles. It's fantastic. It's so all embracing. Even the even hair colour was completely off the charts. It was and and primarily very young people. Well, not all of them, but just everybody in great form. It was just a lovely evening to be inside in Cork City last night. So, in spite of all of the doom and gloom we talk about, or uh, the issues in the city with regards to addictions and homelessness, I, I get all of that and crime and joy and joyriding and shoplifting and thuggery. It was a beautiful place last night and I was delighted to have gone in there and seen it shining in all its glory. Text 0868104106. We'll pick it up after 10. Now, the Neil Prenderville Show, Red FM. Morning, Sinead. She can't talk to me because she's working hard from home and hasn't the time, but she's in Athens, Greece as we speak. And she says, morning, Neil. It's 38 degrees in Athens, Greece at 11 a.m. in the morning. Hot weekend is forecasted, to say the least. I listen to the show every morning. Keep up the great work, says Sinead. What's it like? working in Athens, Greece, a city that I absolutely love, a country that I love. 38 degrees at 11 in the morning. Um, So it's going to climb um, up to maybe 40 or above uh, by lunchtime and into the afternoon. And the papers this morning are talking about 45 to 50 degrees in many European countries um, because of this uh, heat wave. It's a dangerous heat wave. Anyway, stay safe, Sinead, stay safe. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. We talk about uh, criminal behaviour amongst uh, young people and teenagers, and it's bad and even worse in the summer, of course, with more time on their hands. Uh, Lock up the little scumbags. This slap-on-the-wrist BS for crime in this country is a joke. Have them know that if they carry a knife or break the law and you're caught, say, for instance, with a knife and you don't use it, lock them up anyway. If they use it, lock them up longer. Neil, there needs to be curfews on teens under a certain age in certain areas. And if teens are out, hit the parents in their pockets. It's down to every parent to know where and who their child is with and what they're doing. So that's following up on an email from Dean Rock this morning. Kids getting out of the house at one, two, three in the morning to rob cars and to carry on like that. And the parents either don't know or don't care. You definitely hold the parents responsible for their actions. If they don't have control, who does? If a parent doesn't, hit the parent hard in the pocket. Uh, Parents are afraid of their kids these days. Kids are squaring up to their mothers and cursing as if it's normal because the parents have no control nowadays. If I said boo to my parents, I'd get a nice backhand slap and it would keep me in line. And just one more for now. If the law was brought in line, brought in line to deal adequately with crime and lengthy jail terms, then it might teach them a few lessons. Say, for instance, knife crime you've been talking about recently. Anyone who brings a knife out has no good intentions 
and even carrying a knife should be dealt with with the stiffest consequences of the law. So keep those coming. Text 0868104106. Can I mention that our jails are full and it doesn't seem to be making a blind bit of difference? We built a bigger jail in Cork and that's full and it doesn't seem to have made a blind bit of difference. I want to talk to Alistair Hart and get to him fast because there's not much power left in this phone battery by all accounts. Alistair, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are we? Good. We're talking about Japanese imports, immobilizers, car thefts, joyriding, stuff like that earlier on with Kevin Hennessy from Track and Trace. It prompted your call from um, regarding your car and trailer in, in, in London. Was it in the UK? Yeah, so basically, yeah, we just had kind of the, the weekend from hell, really. Um, so many years ago, I owned uh, a Ford Sierra Cosworth, and it was, um, you know, still to this day, probably, you know, my favorite car. And I told my, um, you know, my, 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 my son about it and all of that. And I said, look, one day we'll get that car. We'll, you know, we'll, we'll get one back and they've soared in value. And I said, we'll get one back and we'll build it to the same specification as, as, as it was. And it'll be nice. And, you know, he's, He's 17 and all that, and we were going to do it together, and it was not... Cosworth's a beautiful car, fast car, beautiful, beautiful... Very, uh, very fast car, and ironically, um, probably, uh, well, it was in the 90s, it was the most robbed car in the UK. Ford actually had to reduce the retail price of the car to sell it. Wow. Because people couldn't assure it, because they were, they were literally lasting hours on people's driveways. Why? Why um, what was the attraction to the Cosworth? Uh, when they, when they, so the original um, Sierra Cosworth was a three door, and it stood out like a sore thumb. But then they came out with the Sapphire Cosworth, which was four door, and they thought by playing it down, it might be better. But it actually enabled um, thieves to have a getaway driver and let the you know people run and get in the back door quite easily. Uh, and these things were super, you know, they're super fast. They're, they, you know, they, they, they were a road going rally car. Um, Do they have whale, they had whale tails on the back? Do they? That's right. The first ones did, yeah, yeah. Um, very, very tunable. You can, you know, at very small money, you can get thing, these things up to, you know, three, four hundred horsepower. Uh, even back in, you know, back in the late nineties, early two thousands, and then there was nothing around at that time that would have stayed with it. Like, okay. Um, so, did you spot one in the UK recently? Then to to to. So we did, and like the cost of entry to these things now is is huge, you know. And we'd spotted, we'd been on the lookout for one, and uh, we we're on the lookout for one that needed work because I obviously wanted to build it to the, you know, the way my other one was, and wanted to kind of look exactly the same. So, fortunately, we'd found this one that didn't have an engine, uh, had everything else, and. Um, so it was it was within reach financially. So we did the deal with the guy, a uh, really nice guy, um, and I went over for it. And um, we we went over, we collected it, and basically, I, I you know I cut a long story short. We were heading for the ferry, and I pulled into. Uh, I was heading for the, the 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 only. I was supposed to go to Liverpool, but we couldn't get a, a cabin on that ferry, and it's an eight-hour sailing. Mm-hmm. So I said, I need, I want to get out of here. So look, where, where's the, um, I was heading north and I said, look, okay, we'll just keep going. And look, I'll drive through the night. We'll pull over on the side of the motorway and we get the two hour crossing into Belfast in the morning. And I drive down Sunday. Mm. It was the, logistically, it was, you know, you know, the way I was going to do it. Right. I said it made more sense to be back because I had to be back on Sunday. Um, so anyway, we, we're there, you know, where we're going to stay. So I rang a friend and I said, look, can you book somewhere? I'm on the M1 at the moment. Can you book somewhere for me that's, you know, kind of leaves me a bit of driving in the morning but isn't going to, you know, have me driving all night. So booked into the Hilton in Doncaster. 
um, and it had a, a barriered uh, car park. You know, obviously, when you hear the Hilton, you think, you know, well, you know, at one stage of its life, that was somewhat of a prestigious hotel. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I thought, you know, I wasn't staying there for the prestige of it, I was staying there for the safety of it. And bearing in mind, this car had no engine in it. It was a. It didn't look that. It didn't look that great. But it was still. It was what it was. So your car um, was pulling the Cosworth on a trailer. Okay. So we had a transit van. A van. Okay. With a yeah, we had a transit van uh, with a Brian James trailer, um, and uh, and the Cosworth on the back of it. Your son and with you was uh, he? Who was with you? My son. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, Carry on. So as uh, you know, and we're yeah, we're we're now within touching distance of this dream because now it's it's starting to become a reality, you know, because yeah. like we have the car, you know. So, <clears throat> anyway, uh, pulled in and a barrier went up, let us into the car park. That was great. Drove in and around the back of the car park and um, it's gated and all of that. You know, there was big fencing around it, which I was quite happy about. I backed it in, locked the van up, got my bag. I was shattered. We were literally going to sleep for about <clears throat> four or five hours and then go up the road and um, and, and, and keep going for Stranraer. So when I went to check in at the hotel, I said to the, uh, the man at reception, I said, look, there's a tra- uh, I said, I need you to check and see, can you see on the CCTV, I've um, a van trailer, and I said, there's a Sierra Casal on the back, but I said, can you see it in your CCTV? You checked it, he said, look, it's perfect, it's fine, dead safe, no problem. So <clears throat> we went up to bed, got you know something to eat and a bottle of water, whatever. Went up to bed at about 20 to 12, we were asleep. Uh, we were asleep definitely by twelve, and at one twenty-eight, um, we were told this by CCTV footage. At one twenty-eight, four masked men, armed, um, armed, armed, walked into the car park, um, were into the van in seconds, and uh, drove straight out, burst the barrier, and gone. Wait, when you say armed, like with with weapons or crowbars or what? With guns. <laughs> Guns. Yeah, right. Now, I, you know, I, I was, I got a knock on the door at 2am from two police officers telling me, you know, your, your, your vehicle has been stolen, you know, we'll do our level best to find it, all of this. I was in, I just, I thought it was dreaming, I didn't know what was going on, all the rest of it. So, I'm there going like, what, like what, you know, what does one do? So, I, uh, I knew I like my son um, had to had to be home on the Sunday because he he plays for Munster and he had to be in the, up in Limerick on Monday. Right. So I um, I had to get him back. So I took him to Liverpool. Thankfully, his uh, my passport unfortunately stupidly I left it in the van, so I had no passport. Oh my god! He had his passport with him, so I booked him on a flight out of Liverpool to Cork to get somebody to pick him up. And, Was that uh, a taxi fare then or something? Yeah. No, we, I got I got on the train and I, I okay. went there with him. And, yeah, took him there. And I said, I'm going. He goes, What are you doing? I said, I'm going back to Doncaster and I'm going to try and see can I get to any more information and get, find out where this thing is. Of course you would. You do. You just. Of I, course you would. That's exactly what yeah, I would do. Yeah. yeah. So I went back there and I said, Right, you know, go to the police station. I got my incident report number. Went there, spoke to them, and uh, the guy in CID said, Look. You know, this happens every day of the week here. I said, look, you know, man to man, what are the chances of getting this back? He said, look, forget about it. And I said, oh, okay. And I said, right, well, if if it's a case of forget about it, that means you're not going to do anything about it. And he didn't answer. So I said, right, I'm going to look for it myself. And um, we made a few inquiries and we started putting out social media posts. And um, 
we got a post to go viral here in Ireland and we managed to get Chris Harris, the presenter of Top Gear, to actually share it over on his social media and it then went viral in the UK. All um, very quickly. All very, very quickly. I think within two, two to three hours, we had 3,000 Facebook shares. We had, we were in WhatsApp groups on all the haulier um, uh, channels in the UK. Insane. And so within two or three hours, you had Top Gear on board and everything. Yeah. yeah. Insane. And uh, lo and behold, the trailer was on the move, right? Um, the trailer was on the move and it was going down the M1. Somebody spotted so, it then, got back to you on social media. Yes, okay. there was comments coming in thick and fast saying it. We've seen it on the M1, it's a junction, it's a junction 30, which was 19 minutes outside Doncaster. At this point, I'm inside in the, back in the Hilton, begging somebody to give me a car so I could go down the road and like, you know, uh, follow this and ring the police when I'm behind it and say, look, you know, this is where it is. Can you please come and, and stop it? Um, couldn't get a car. So I rang 999 and I said, look, it's a junction, it's a junction, whatever we, we have, we had, this is how the, de- the, the this is the level of detail that we got. It was a, a white Audi A4 B7 model, which would suggest it was zero eight on, with four Asian males. The driver has a long beard. The car's the car's white. It has a tow bar. It, we, it's a Brian James trailer. There's a white tarpaulin over a blue Sierra Cosworth, and it's got a black back bumper on it. And they said we need more information. We need the edge of the Audi to put it on the ANPR. The, the, and, yours is the Audi. I thought it was a van. Well, you see, they'd obviously the van at this point, I would imagine, had been had been either crushed or done away with or or, or gotten rid of. Oh, okay. And so they were not. They weren't in your van. They were in an Audi. Okay. Right. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And the uh, so the Audi. The people obviously in the Audi were you know. I would imagine they were buying it. They they were probably trailer guys. And they were told, you're taking the trailer, you're taking this fucking... Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. Forgive me, yeah, okay, sorry about that. You're, take, you're taking, um, you're taking the, the what's on the trailer as well because there's no good to us because there's no engine out. So, um, I, anyway, off they went. And uh, they, I had people waiting on the end of the M1 where I joined the M25 uh, to try and intercept this thing ourselves. And... Um, it never made it down that far. We reckon it turned off somewhere around Bedford or Luton or something like that. But for three hours, we were having live reports and live updates coming in of where the car was. It never, it never left the M1 and A1, and but not one iota of help from the police. We went back down to the police station as this was going on, and said, "Look, you know, why, why can't you send someone from another county and just have them?" back in on the motorway you will see it pass and you will catch them yeah and uh apparently uh yeah but they could they could turn off or they could do this or whatever and it was just like they're not they're not interested but what about this drone yeah so so we 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 were told that the car had been spotted the 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 the, the police had seen on CCTV they'd followed the um they they'd followed the van and the trailer on the night of the theft and they'd followed it to a place um, just outside uh, Doncaster, a place called Bentley. And they followed it into a particular site in Bentley. And um, in that site was multiple different units, uh, lock-up units. And um, they sent a drone in the next day to fly over to see if they see anything. But one would have thought that 
you would get a search warrant or something to look through the units because obviously, it, you know, it was in there. Um, but they didn't. And the feedback I got um, off the record from the officer that had knocked at my door at 3am who was back on duty that night was, he said, look, I stayed on an extra hour and a half that night. He said, I was due to finish at 3, I didn't finish at half 4. I stayed on because I love Sierra Cosworth. And he said, I was really trying to find it for you. Um, but he said, we're so underfunded. Um, they, these people are, you know, these people are just like the police officer himself, a young family, lived locally. All these people live locally as well. They're scared to death of the organized crime that's going on there. So it's, they're, they're just literally picking their battles and they have to hit an 80% success rate um, and there's easier crimes to solve. Because than, they're armed. They're armed. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So the, so the yeah. police did do something in the sense they, they, they spotted it, sent a drone over the site where it had been reported to have they, ended up, but they could do no more well, after that. They did no more after that. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, it's... But it's... Look, I, there's two things here, right? I don't blame... The, the, the guys that robbed it, I don't blame them for one second because, the, like, there's, it's, too easy, it's too easy to get away with. So why would they stop? How did they know it was there, though, in the car park behind a, behind a barrier that, in the hotel? I reckon that on the way into Doncaster, I passed, um, I can remember passing a, a beaver tail transit. Now, beaver tail transit would be like a transit kind of uh, tra- car transporter type transit uh, pickup. And I remember passing one of those on the way in. Um, and, you know, that could have been it. Or maybe it would, they were just driving around. Maybe the guy in the hotel was, uh, you know, tipped them off. I don't know. Some, you know, it not was, the guy who's the guy who sold it to you. Is he is he legit? Absolutely not. No, this guy was in absolute bits over. He was the guy waiting at the M25, and he okay. Kept no, I'm one. just asking the question. Yeah. A lot of people if, texting asking, had you paid for it at that stage? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was paid for. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Everything's paid for. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, was it an expensive it, car, the Cosworth? Well, it's it, it would be when it was finished, but like the the car itself um, would be ten thousand euros without the engine, um, and the cost now of the trailer and the cost of the van. Because uh, oh, I only had the yeah yeah, so we're probably we're probably down. I would imagine after the the, the whole weekend because um, it was only third party only um, insurance on my policy. So you're I'm probably down, down twenty five grand. Twenty five to thirty thousand. I would think so all day long. I would think so. Yeah. yeah. So you, so you knew then. You knew then that your okay. The van is gone. The trailer's gone. The Cosworth is in this site in a lockup. You know where the site is. There are many lockups, and there's no more you can do about it. Yeah. No more. No. No more. Um. But. Well, it's it's not about the money, you know what I mean? It's like I my house got robbed the day of my wedding twenty years ago, right. and the feeling of violation when somebody robs something from you is a, is an awful feeling. I don't know if you've had anything stolen off you, but like it's a very different feeling to anything else. And I, you know, it's a horrible experience. And as I would say, if this story and the only reason I wanted to come on and talk about it was that a simple thing like an Apple AirTag. Um, or some sort of tracking device, or whatever. Like it doesn't matter. The police knew where it was anyway. That's fine, right? But 
like that was an extreme circumstance. Yeah, if you had track, if you had a track and trace app on that, yeah. you know, we were talking earlier yeah. on this morning, uh, you would yeah. have been able to know what lockup it was in right down. Yeah. You'd be able to right down to the actual f- standing outside the lockup. Exactly. So if we look, if we look at tracking and tracing stuff, right, and we look at the likes of an air tag, right. Now we can look at air tags and look at them and go, okay, that will lack to save my car. And look, this is this isn't for me and like for me and my poor Cosworth. This isn't about that. This is about raising awareness, right? That there's just there's more things that can be taken. You need to put. We need to be putting air tags into our children's school bags. We need to be putting air tags into things that that we take for granted. Like we're blessed in this country. The it's far better than the UK for crime, but it's getting bad as we know as we now know. And I really think that, you know, gone are the days that we can leave keys in the car or we can leave things open and, and take it to chance. And that Blair tag is, is, is 25, 35 I know, euros. I know, like that. I know, I know. And, you know, something so simple, great deterrent. You, you, like, normally the chain of events is these people rob things, they, they put it somewhere for 24 hours, see if anyone comes forward. If no one comes forward, it's not tracked. And then they go about their business then and it changes hands two to three times then over the next 24 to 48 hours. Organised crime, it's clinical, it's done very, very well. I don't blame these people. Why don't you blame them? They're armed robbers that have robbed your property. Well, why in the name of God would they work for £10 an hour when the system is set up to allow them to, to have carte blanche to take whatever they want and make thousands? It's the system is the problem. I have no problem with the policemen themselves, but they're quite able to dish out money for absolute rubbish uh, programs and absolute funding, whatever things that are absolute rubbish. But they're taking the money away from they're taking the money away from the police force, defunding the police force. They're taking uh, the they're defunding the NHS. They're defunding everything. And you know, the, there's a, these people have to like the police have to hit their eighty percent. Success. Um, so they go for the ones that they can, yeah. Um, well, yeah. I mean, and, and it wouldn't be taken on four masked armed robbers, for instance. No, that probably that they all know by name, and that those people probably have come into contact and go, "Hey, PC, whatever your name is, how's your wife and three kids?" Yeah. I mean, like, these people are human beings, like you know. And so you didn't contemplate staying around. I mean, you you literally couldn't stake out the hot that the actual. Yeah, that's exactly what I was. That's exactly what I why I went back there. I went back there to take to to try and do my own bit of work, and um, and that's when we spotted. That's when we spotted the uh, uh, the trailer going down uh, down south, and and then once I knew that that was on the move, then there was no point in me being in Doncaster anymore. And I knew if we didn't get it that night, we'd never get it, and, and we haven't since. Uh, but you're telling me that it did leave the industrial lockup. It did. It did. It did. Yeah. 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 Do, how, how do you know that? Uh, because of the re- the reports that were coming in, so um, you know, all, once that post had gone viral, and I, as I said, as it was, but firstly, it, was, it went into a lockup. Firstly, it went into a lockup. Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, okay. and and the re- the rest of the story unfolded then afterwards. You know, how long did it stay in there? Uh, Twelve hours, and then it was spotted again by people who were interacting with in, so- in social media. Twelve hours yeah. later, heading south. Yeah, and gone. Yeah, gone. Yeah, gone. Um, How'd you get home? So, uh, I rang the Irish Embassy and uh, I said, um, told them what happened. And I said, look, I'd actually flown with Ryanair a week beforehand. And I had a picture of my passport on my phone. 
Um, and I said, look, you, you know, is there something you guys can email Ryanair to tell them what happened? And he said, no. He said, it's company policy. It's not, you don't actually legally need a passport to travel between Ireland and the UK. And so he said, you need to get on either the ferry or get on Aer Lingus. Aer Lingus wanted £400 for a, for a same-day, one-way flight to Cork. So obviously I wasn't going to do that. Um, 400 so for a one-way? £400, yeah. Yeah, £400, you know. You can get a return flight to Dubai for that almost. You know so what, what I mean? did you do? So I hung around. I, I waited until I waited um, until the following evening. Uh, I went down to London and I went out to Heathrow and I um, um, went out to Heathrow and I, it cost 120 pounds. It was the cheapest one I could get. So. Oh my God! Again, again, people are texting. Uh, one person's wondering here: Did you have the Cosworth covered on the trailer? You did, didn't you? I didn't have it covered. No, 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 no. But like this, you see, this is coming from I like this is coming from West Cork. I'm not like my mind isn't geared that way. No, no, know? I know that, and just hindsight's a wonderful thing. Don't well, get me wrong. See, I, I mean, like, there's so many things that people have said. Well, why, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? Yeah, you don't think I didn't think of that afterwards? Afterwards, yeah, yeah. No, that's understandable. You, know, you don't think of these things because, like, you, unfortunately, because we're so naive in the society that we're living in, especially down in, for me anyway, I'm speaking personally for me in West Cork, I'm so naive about security and all of that. It's just like, you know. Yeah, it's, uh, you don't expect it and that's a good thing in, in the sense of the community you live in. For, yeah. I'm not looking for sympathy here, but what I am looking for is for people that have something that's of any value to them, right, is spend 35 euros on an air tag. Yeah. Put it in your kid, put it in your kid's school bag. Put it put it in your car, put it in your van, put it in put it in something and you know have a means of being able to look at something All right. yourself. Yeah. The only thing no. the only is I don't know if there's any consolation in the fact that those gangsters will soon mm. have already discovered that there was no engine in the Cosworth. Oh yeah, that was that was that was brilliant like you know I knew that was going to happen and and they were you know uh, I, I, I did find some solace in that. But look, Neil, as I said, look, like none of us got hurt. We weren't asleep in the back of us uh, and, and armed guys were, were there. It's, 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 it's only metal, you know. It's, yeah, it but it was your it dream. Is. It was the dream of yourself and yeah, your son. Like, I hope, yeah, I hope that you managed to fulfil that dream in the future. Well, I, when, this is my point, right? You, what would you rather be? Would you rather wake up in the morning broke and like and, and trying to recover the loss or would you rather wake up being a billionaire struggling for a tank of oxygen at the bottom of the sea well that's a good way know? to look at it that is and, a good way to look at it but yeah. like we, we you it's all about mindset i mean you can either go left or right here and i think everyone needs to go the things can all no matter what happens to anyone like if you have your health and you you have your loved ones around you and you get another day in life to do with it how you choose then, then that's winning in itself you know? Yeah, it's a positive way to look at it. It really is, well, in spite yeah. of what happened to you. That's for sure. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So. All right, Alistair, what can I tell you, man? Um, it's a bummer. It's it really, all good, it, Neil. It, 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 it's uh, all well, good. Uh, it, yeah, I mean, you're, you're putting the, the best side forward. Like, it's done, it's happened, it's unfortunate. But, of course, yeah. you're looking at the more positive things in life, and that's a good thing. But yeah. it's, still, it's still very annoying. So this third party, that doesn't co- cover theft, No. Road cover. You see, I'm in the motor trade, so I have a uh, third party only, and um, right. because because the price of insurance is so expensive. So, right. <laughs> yeah, if I know. get a call from anyone or a text who has a Cos- Cosworth for sale that needs work, are you interested? You can you can put it out there that we're looking for a two wheel drive Sierra Sapphire Cosworth 
and we're, do, we're actually documenting a YouTube series on this and we will do uh, Chris Harris from Top Gear is on board with it and a couple other um, YouTubers in the UK who are on board with it as well and we'll be, we're, going, we're, going, we're going to do it it will take a period of time now because of the financial implications of it but yes we are looking for one uh, and we are looking for the worst thing going. And we can do it up, you know. All right, my man. If I hear from anybody, I'll be in touch, all right? Thanks, Neil. Take care, Alistair. All the best. Uh, it's a very unfortunate set of events. Uh, anybody out there might be able to help them out. Text 0868-104-106. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818-104-106. Red FM. Okay, back to uh, criminality and law and order. Curfews should be on teens under a certain, certain age in certain areas. And if teens are out, hit the parents' pocket. It's down to every parent to know where and who their child is with and what they're doing at all times. It's an interesting one. Not everybody will agree with that. Most decent people, most people are decent. And even those from the best homes can take the wrong path. Somebody else says, how can you blame all parents? Some children go to a friend's house and end up in trouble. Parents can't watch a child 24-7. Amazing how so many people think that violence and locking up kids is the only solution. Investing in youth clubs, sporting facilities and youth social services outreach are more effective ways to counter youth crime. The devil makes work for idle hands. The more stuff there is for kids, all young people, not just those lucky enough to be born into wealthy families, the more stuff there is for kids, the less crime there will be. I think there was never more options, actually, for children these days. Unfortunately, a lot of them have to do with smartphones and laptops and the online world. But there are quite an amount of sporting facilities, aren't there? There are quite an amount of youth clubs. There's all sorts of different choices as to whether you want to play GAA, whether you want to play soccer, whether you want to play rugby, whether you want to play camogie, whether you want to play hockey or tennis or... There's loads of them. Um, the parents can't hit them. The guardie can't do anything about it because they're underage. Until that law changes, it's only going to get worse. And one other one. Parents can honestly only do so much. They could be working all hours to make ends meet or have multiple children with additional needs. Um, there are multiple factors to consider because some parents are backed completely into corners. I've seen quite a lot on parenting groups about teens terrorising their parents to the point of physical abuse and the parent or child or teen isn't getting any support you start finding parents it will be horrible for many don't get me wrong I'm not saying all parents are amazing some are more than questionable I know the justice system needs a major overhaul slap on the wrist and warnings aren't working there's no deterrent Uh, being honest Neil harsher judges and harsher sentencing is what's needed even for people, even say, for instance, just carrying a weapon as opposed to using it, um, they only get slap on the wrist. Uh, the law must change. Teens have to take responsibility for their own actions. And one final one. I'm a mother. And first, I think kids here have too much freedom. Secondly, sentencing should be dropped down to a minimum 16 years old. Uh, well, some are suggesting that uh, it should even be younger than that because we're seeing 13-year-olds now uh, behaving uh, wildly and completely out of control. What do you do about that? So keep those comment text 0868104106. Yes, um, can I just mention also that I was sent some documentation uh, by email overnight um, by more than one person. So this is obviously doing the rounds online. Uh, one person, actually, Frank, uh, sent an email together with the, so with the screenshots. He says, I was sent these receipts from a friend doesn't seem to show any dependence on these receipts, so surely this is not a single parent, this is not a single payment for one person. 
Can anyone explain what job seekers get a week? Because if this job seekers receipt is correct, I'm jacking up work, says he. Uh, and with that comes to Department of Social Welfare job seekers allowance receipts, which the claimant has to sign to get the money. And one is a job seekers payment of 584 euro, total amount payable 584 euro. And the second one then is for a job seekers payment uh, of 220 euro with 3450 deducted from it, leaving a job seekers payment of 185 euro and 50 cents. Point being um, that one of them is 185 euro 50 and the other one happens to be 584 euro. Why is there such a disparity between the two job seekers payments? Don't have an answer to that because I can't drill into it. Somebody else is saying, has it to do with the fact that one has an Irish name and the other hasn't an Irish name? I would think not. I think that all job seekers allowances will be the same regardless of where you come from. Um, the uh, person who has the Irish name has the job seekers receipt of 185, 50. person with the um, not Irish name has 584. So I did take a closer look at it this morning, looking at job seekers benefit. So for instance, the highest rate of job seekers weekly benefit is 220 euro. On top of that, you get an extra 146 euro if you have an adult dependent. And on top of that, you have additional payments of up to 50 euro per child. So if you take the 220 and the 146, straight away you're up to 366. And if you have a few children, then it rises higher again. Could that be the reason why one is 584 euro for a week's job seekers and the lower one would be to um, a, a single person with no dependence whatsoever who would get a flat rate of 220. That's all I can tell you. Other than that, I do not know if you think that 584 euro is a lot on a weekly basis on job seekers. I suppose if you look at other countries, then it probably is quite high when you look at other countries and what they pay on a weekly basis. On car thefts, they are breaking the law, arrest them, put them into detention centres. Somebody else says, I have a Nissan Serena with an immobiliser and alarm in it. It's a 132 car. I bought it off Suru cars down the marina. What a car. It's light years ahead of cars the same age and way more value for money. It just sips petrol. My next car will be a Nissan Serena and the one after that will be. Beautiful car. Point being, there's an immobiliser and an alarm in it and that deters people. Boot camps should have been here for years, but the do-gooders won't allow it. A justice system that closes their eyes to young people, causing trouble in many areas under the antisocial heading. When it's not antisocial, it's criminality. Many of these kids are being used by older people and are fueling the out-of-control crime industry, says Anthony, by text to 0868-104-106. Back after the break. Get it off your chest. Text The Neil Brinderville Show now, 086-8104-106. Red FM. Text 0868-104-106. Pick up the phone on 0818-104-106. Um, with regards to Noonan's Road, why can't they just demolish the flats in Noonan's Road and put in modular homes? That can be done in 12 months and they last up to 70 years. Be done an awful lot faster, but uh, modular homes wouldn't be ideal, would they? They put them in much faster down in Mahan. And of course, the echo is the story of the first Ukrainian mother and son who took possession of their modular home 
uh, yesterday. It's interesting. The government has put aside 150 million now to end long-term vacancy and dereliction. And of that 150 million, Cork City Council got 6 million and Cork County Council got 5 million. I did notice actually in the reports on this where they talk about um, the statistic that 7,000 homes in Cork City and County are classed now as vacant properties. 7,000 of them in the city and county classed as vacant properties and many of them lying idle for at least 12 months or a lot longer. Isn't that a shocking figure? 7,000 homes for 7,000 families, but yet they continue to be vacant. You couldn't make sense of it. Maybe Frank O'Connor could from his co-director of design agency and nation campaigns with Derelict Ireland and he updates constantly online regarding dereliction, particularly here in Cork. Frank, good morning. Good morning, Neil. 7,000 in Cork City and County, owned by whom? I know, I know. It's a crazy figure, isn't it, really? In the middle of a housing emergency, that we still have that many properties empty. I guess it's a mix of owners, really. From our research, it tends to be a mix. From uh, Sometimes it's businesses who sit on quite a few properties. Sometimes it's just private owners. But yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a shocking figure, really. Okay. And, and but, but in there, that, that's the private aspect. Is, is there, is there, are two councils culpable with properties vacant? Well, councils have been very culpable over the time. You know, they've been very slow to bring them back into use. I mean, we, we've heard quite a few times how um, Cox City have been one of the slowest uh, local authorities in the country to bring back their voids back into use. It's taken sometimes a couple of years. And in fact, there was a number of properties acquired by the City Council six years ago, back in 2017, and they're still not back into use, Neil. So when you say uh, acquired, but bought them, compulsorily yeah. purchased them, what? Yeah they, they, yeah, they bought them back in 2017. I think there was a number of ways they bought them, but yeah, there are different locations in the city. Nice locations, actually. There's one up by the lock, and there's one close to Albert Road. And, but yeah, they are still back into use. I mean, some of them they're currently working on. They've been working on the last couple of months now, so hopefully they'll be home soon. So it's quite a slow process and it's simply not good enough. But that's six years they've sat there. Six years, yeah, six years, yeah. We've been documenting now for three years, myself and Jude, and um, I suppose taking information about four and a half years, but actually sharing for the last three years. Yeah, so it's been very, very slow and uh, I think it's good news, obviously. We're all pleased that there's more money being allocated to this and we're pleased the government are now finally recognising that this is a huge source of potential housing. But, I mean, hold on a, but hold on a second. Surely there are people out there that would be quite happy to buy at a reduced price and do the work themselves. Absolutely. And that's one of the things I want to say to you that I think that we need to look at that. You know, I mean, there's a measure called compulsory sales, which is used in other countries. And so what I'd like to see happening and me and Jude like to see happening is that these properties are sold, like you say, Neil, back into the private market for people like ourselves who want to buy a home and maybe walked in with the local authorities to bring them back into use, maybe set a time frame, maybe 18 months, two years, whatever, but support them on the process. There's grants, as we know as well, which have come There out are grants process. available, aren't there, for people to there do are. that? There are. They've come out now again as a result of the work we've been doing over the last few years. So quite quite generous grants in, in some cases, something between 50,000 to 70,000 for vacant and derelict, and obviously there's other grants for moving into islands as well. But yes, yeah, so there's grants available. You know, so really, I suppose for us, one of the big issues still, we don't have a proper record of data set and we haven't got full enforcement of the dereliction levies either. So I know that's another part to it. But definitely, if we're going to use the six million effectively, we don't want the money 
going into consultants. We've seen that with the event centre in Cork, where there's a load of money gone into the event centre. We've seen no. It's gone into that, but a million and a half in consultancy already, is it? Already a million and a half already, Neil, and there's 57 million of public money committed to it. So you can see the money can go quite quickly. We've seen that with the children's hospital up in Dublin. Do you despair about the children's hospital? The latest update to that now is it's going to cost over two billion which would be a 700 million euro overspend. Why can't something come in on budget? Uh, look, that's very frustrating. I mean, I particularly get frustrated about that. I share a lot about BAM, which is the company behind it. I mean, the fact that they also own a number of sites in Cork that they're sitting on for years and not doing anything to them. And because I lived in the Netherlands and I know about BAM, they're a Dutch company. They, what they do in Ireland, they wouldn't get away with in the Netherlands. They but surely they come in on target with projects, do they? I mean, they may not be with the children's hospital, but surely. But well, in, in the Netherlands, they've got a huge reputation for their social responsibility, for their for the delivery and stuff. So whatever's happened in their approach to Ireland, something's gone wrong, you know. And yeah, it is frustrating, you know. So so obviously when it comes back to the election, we've got six... But hold on a second, because in case people don't know, this would be 3,000 different rooms in the children's hospital. A lot of them would be wards, obviously. But of the 3,000 rooms that were supposed to be finished by now... They've only 27 rooms finished. I know. I Honestly, it's extremely frustrating. I mean, we have a health crisis as well as a housing crisis. And um, I don't. I mean, I don't think any of us understand what's going on. But there. is it your understanding that when somebody pitches for a project, you don't have to answer this if you don't know the answer, that they would give the, the projected funds or the projected costs, right? It would be examined. Yeah. There would be awarded the contract but that they couldn't come back looking for more and more and more, 700 million more. Or, or is that allowed? Well, I don't know the answer to that, no, but I know I walked in the building trade when I was younger with my dad and stuff, and you were never allowed to change the price once you agreed it from the outset. So maybe maybe the rules have changed. Maybe there's different rules for the big big players. I don't know. I think it's, you know, if you were pricing your own house, getting a contractor in, you wouldn't want them to change the price, would you, every couple of months? I do want to fifty thousand and suddenly realise it's going to be two hundred thousand. I would agree at the offset that there would not be anybody coming back looking yeah. for more. You'd expect so, and I know there's been. Look, we have had the Ukrainian uh, war. We've had a lot of issues around resources, prices of materials have gone up. We know all that, but yeah, and the the costs with the hospital have escalated beyond belief. And someone somewhere is making money out of this, and we're not getting what we need. Uh, it's very frustrating. It really is. Like it's an awful waste. Uh, text here says four vacant homes in Mahan, three damaged by fire over a year ago, um, and left empty. Three next to St. Michael's Church in Blackrock Village, boarded up for over a decade. You you see these 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 yeah, properties. Those ones by in, in Blackrock, I've shared quite a bit, and a lot of local people have been quite frustrated. And they're fine homes, three homes in a terrace in a line. Yeah, you know, terrible to see them right by the by, right by the church there. You know, and yeah, look, we've seen across the city. We found at the time when we did the research, you and I, we found over seven hundred within two kilometres of the city centre, Neil. Over seven hundred. And when you've got people dying on the streets, you know, people in emergency accommodation, families going over to home, 4,000 children officially homeless at the moment. 4,000 children officially homeless in Ireland at the moment. Uh, you do incredible work, both of you. Don't get me wrong, but it's depressing when you see the scale of it. When, when there's a terrace, I'm not talking about Black Rock in particular, but if you see a terrace of three or four together... Are they all owned by one individual or a company? Would they be typically sitting on it for a reason? 
Yeah, look, they've been mixed there. We found, that, I suppose, some have been owned by smaller companies who are planning maybe to develop. Maybe they haven't got the permission they wanted. Maybe they want to do something different and they weren't allowed to do it. Maybe they decided to sit on it. We have found that if you sit in a property, even a small individual terrace house, you could your property value could go up 20000 a year without doing anything. Now, we've chatted to builders. We've chatted to developers. We've chatted to all, all the spectrum, you know. And, like, a lot of people will honestly say to us that, look, I could make more by not doing anything at the moment because I'm not going to be penalised by the authorities because they don't enforce the dereliction levies, which are 7% per year. So if they're not going to get me to pay my levies, which they're not at the moment, then I can sit on it and wait for, to see what, what happens at the market. You know? and, and that 7% is 7% of what? Of the property value. So they should be paying, you just say, 7% of your property value every year. They so why, why don't they? Or why don't they get people who are really good at that, say, revenue to do it? Well, revenue should be doing it, Neil. That's the whole thing. Revenue should be doing it. It shouldn't be up to local authorities trying to collect it. They clearly have issues doing it. They have said that they're, they don't like doing it. They don't like dealing with the property owners. They don't like giving the property owners at a hard time. We've heard all these things back from the local authorities over the last few years. It's not good it's enough. Revenue. It's just not good enough, Frank. Well, it's not. Look, Neil, if we had, if everyone had a home, <laughs> you know, this would be a way less of an issue. We, we don't want to see the election now because it destroys our towns and cities. It does. It takes away from the economy. It takes away socially, environmentally, and everything else. But if the local authorities aren't prepared or haven't got the capability to enforce the levies, like you say, put it back on the revenue and collect it every year. You could imagine, we, my partner Jude at the time walked out to Cork City alone could be bringing a couple of million pounds each year extra which could then be put towards the central fund to bring these properties back into use. Now, I'm delighted, we are both delighted, six million more is coming to Cork. But we could be bringing probably three million at least a year in extra if we collected the levies. Imagine the three million on top of that if you get that every year. I so I, I think we, we need a much better joined up approach across the country, but also we do need a cultural transformation. Money's great, but you've seen it, I've seen it over the years. Money alone isn't enough. You can throw loads of money at something but it won't necessarily change anything. And yeah. it will change culturally and practice as well. You know, and I think it needs to be treated as an emergency. I know we talk about it all the time. And you're right, it's depressing. I mean, I've spent four and a half years now working on this, three years uh, sharing it through the platform, student and I, and on TV, radio, and everything else. And we're obviously, we, we, look, all we want is we want people to have homes. And we want their election to end in our are, you, are you following um, the, the slum landlord issues involving Cork City Council at Noonan's Road? Yeah, yeah, we've been supporting that. We went down and we joined the protest in solidarity. Have you seen the properties? No, I haven't gotten to see them yet, but I have seen other properties and I have got a lot of stories over the years, obviously, of people like Newlands Road. Some of these situations I've seen, uh, in other, you know, I've been in terrible conditions. So, so the council is allowed to get away with things that a private landlord would never get away with? Well, unfortunately, I've seen private landlords as well with similar situations. But yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, look, look, they should be setting the standard. The, the council should be setting the standard. You know, if they're not prepared to do it, you know, it's a bit like their election, Neil. If 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 the local authorities can go on about vandalism and antisocial behaviour and stuff, but they're being vandalistic towards our city, the city that we all live in. Yeah. The way they treat it. So. How can you, what kind of impression does that give? You can blame young kids for doing stuff, but in the day, what they see across the city, they see our, our city crumbling, but they see buildings falling to the ground. We've only been back four and a half, almost five years, Jude and I. The amount of buildings that have fallen onto the street in Cork mm. at the time we've been here. Mm. I'd never before experienced this anywhere. I've walked all over the world. I'd never seen anything like this. So, so I think the local authorities, the council, they have to lead by example. 
and they're not at the moment. I know, and I that's know. causing a lot of problems for people because you, you should be looking to them and going, look, they're protecting our heritage. They're bringing these homes back into use. We shouldn't have homes. There's a local authority, uh, city council house, right? A few minutes walk from where we live. We live in the Shandon Blackpool area, which has been five years, right? <laughs> five years boarded up, a perfect house in a small terrace. There's no excuse good enough to make um, make sense out of that. You just nobody nobody could reason why it's boarded up for five years. You couldn't come up with an excuse. You just couldn't. I couldn't. You couldn't. No, no. You couldn't. Okay. And, okay. and there's families passing that every day, coming from temporary accommodation in the hotels and stuff, passing that on their way to school. What message does that give to give to our kids? Bad man. Yeah. It's bad. Frank, thanks for taking the call. I'm out of time for now, but uh, do stay in touch. A lot of food for thought. Th- fo- a lot of food for thought this morning. Frank O'Connor from uh, the campaign Derelict Ireland, and more importantly, Derelict Cork. Text 0868104106. We're back after eleven. Now, the Neil Prenderville Show, Red FM. Keep those texts coming. I continue to get texts from people who are listening overseas, which is lovely to see. People working. Uh, in uh, Rome. I see one's coming in from uh, Greece earlier on this morning. Uh, a lot of other ones then on different topics, including my reaction to the Barbie movie. Richie says, your reaction to the Barbie movie speaks volumes about the hypocrisy of our society today. That's interesting, Richie. I just thought I had a bit of an opinion on whether I'd ever go and watch it. Firstly, we claim to be pro-women and pro-choice, but you instantly attacked the lifestyle choices of the women you assumed are depicted in the film. It seems women have the right to choose so long as their choices align with the establishment. Secondly, you dismiss the hyper-feminized fantasy world of Barbie, but promote as perfectly normal the hyper-feminized and hyper-sexualized reality of drag queens to such a degree that you'd deliver a troop of dancing drag queens to the door of a 12-year-old boy. Um, Yes, I I remember that... um, a promotion that was done recently. Full disclosure, Neil, I don't care about Barbie movie one way or the other, but in the time of the Kardashians and Cardi B's wet-ass P-U-S-S-Y lyrics, why should this piece of entertainment have to have an empowering message, says Richie and and Toker. I suppose, why can't it just be what it is. So, thank you for that text. Keep them coming. Text 0868104106. There's another committee this morning where you've got RTE personnel before at the interim, a Director General and indeed the Director General himself, Kevin Backers. One of the interesting ones I've seen on the screen this morning is that uh, Ryan Tuberty has sent an invoice into RTE this week. And the RTE boss says that they need to make up their mind or decide whether they're going to pay him because he's not doing his duties anymore. I think that would have something to do with whether he's in contract or he isn't. Um, He doesn't wish to go on air. He wants to go on air. They won't put him on air. So are they responsible to pay the invoice? He's confirmed that as of this week, there is no salary going to be paid to Ryan Tuberty because they face um, uh, a question that they need to answer as to whether or not he has a future with the company or not. So the invoice came in this week from Ryan Tuberty's agent and uh, Kevin Backhurst said, we need to decide what we're paying him because he's not doing his duties anymore. Clearly, he's not doing his TV program. Um, uh, he should be available for radio. Um, Ryan Tuberty would say, I am available for radio and I want to go on the air. But that's another string to the bow now as to whether they're actually going to pay him. Sounds to me as if they're not. Um, it's all fraud, Neil. Everything to do with RT. Bring the guardian in. 
job done. Anthony says, it's so maddening that any citizen that does not pay 160 euro licence fee can get a criminal record. Yet when hundreds of thousands of euro are squandered by these people in charge of RTE, they can just walk away and stand in front of no judge. Some things haven't changed in this country where a certain sector is involved. Uh, Somebody else is suggesting they want people not to pay the television licence so that they can directly take it from your wages. All of this is staged. Uh, Did anyone notice whether or not Ryan Tuberty was wearing flip-flops yesterday? That should have been a hot topic, says Maria, who finds it quite amusing. Uh, And another one here um, with regards to D Forbes. Without D Forbes and a representative from Renault turning up at the hearings, they will never get to the truth about false accounting. We heard of two companies by Ryan Tuberty's agent being involved in the paperwork trail. This is in addition to Ryan Tuberty's own company and RTE and all of the other agents. From a public point of view, it could look like there was a conspiracy to hide money in different accounts and in different companies to hide the payments, which were indeed hidden. Every time Ryan Tuberty and his agent could not answer yesterday, the standard answer was we were acting under the directions of RTE. The only way to get the whole story is get Deep Forbes and a representative Renault into the room. Otherwise, we'll have to wait for an external audit to be completed. So keep those coming. Text 0868 Turning back uh, to um, tenants, whether it's a public authority landlord or a private landlord. And we've been talking about that a lot recently, certainly with regards to Noonan's Road. But this story involves a private landlord. Sandra, good morning. Hi, good morning. So, so it's an, an example of a landlord not doing the right thing. And, and clearly I don't wish to know the address of the property nor the name of the landlord. But share your story nonetheless. Go ahead. Yeah, so basically um, I'm in the property there in early three years. Um, now I face many issues there um, with dampness and mould. Um, the, mainly uh, throughout the property, mainly at the back of the property. Um, so how was it when you moved in? So when I initially viewed the property, um, it had been painted. So I didn't see any any mould. You won't if like it's that. freshly painted for a while, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So it was all kind of covered over, and it was it would have been my kind of first time renting. So I wasn't kind of familiar with that. Um, so yeah, um, and I was I kind of rushed into it, and so basically. Um, so I'd say I know it started coming up, I'd say, after, I'd say about a month, I started seeing mold stains start, starting to come up. Um, and it was coming up on, you know, the, the, the blinds and the curtains and things like that. Can I just say, uh, lads, I have photographs of the property here and they are shocking. I, yeah. see, I see the photograph of some particular oh, walls with a door, like as if it's, the door looks like as if it's diseased. Yeah, that's the bathroom of the property. That's how bad that gets. That's at the very back now of the property. So, But why, like, why am I looking at photographs of walls and uh, concrete shelves? These are not added shelves. They're part of the structure of the house that seem to have sort of fungal hair growing out of them. Yeah, yeah. That's, that, that's, that's what, how bad it can get if it's left what is, there. What is growing? What is that that's growing? I don't even know. I, I, I don't know what it was but it's organic um, like it's like something you'd see on the wall of a pier down by the sea exactly exactly it, that's how bad the mould is it goes everywhere I can't even have the mould is growing hair yeah that's what it looked like yeah and at the time okay. the, the, the agency sent out guys to just 
clean it and they just literally just paint it over the what painted the walls um that that's all that was done there was nothing else um like they did there was no insulation the the crack repairs weren't done basically um the mold just keeps coming up you know it's consistent who's with you have your kids i've one child uh how's her health not great, not great. She's kind of she's sick on a regular basis, um, especially with her chest. Um, she kind of developed asthma as well, so she needs an inhaler. Um, a lot of head colds. Um, so she yeah, so she gets a like she's getting a lot of chest infections more often than she should be. It says here that she's on inhalers constantly and so many antibiotics. That can't yeah. be good for a child her age. No, anti- no, you have to exactly. be very careful with antibiotics in small children. Yeah, yeah, she's regularly she's she's been given the antibiotics and and had an inhaler, and I reckon it's definitely because the dampness is also in, in the bedroom in both bedrooms. Okay, so this dampness and mold on the walls, the furniture, the shoes, the clothing, uh, yeah. the fungus, um, it just gets so worse and worse and worse. What does the landlord say about it, or the or the RTB for that matter? So the the landlords won't actually do anything. So basically, I I I raised a case with the RTB last year, and I had a case with them in August last year, and he basically gave the landlord twelve weeks to do the repairs, and all he did was send guys out to to look at the property, and they were saying this needs to be done, that needs to be done. Um, so like I deal with a letting agency, and they referred back to the landlord with a quote. Now, it was a very, very high quote, and obviously the landlord wasn't... Do we know the quote total? Um, From what I got told, it was roughly 10,000. Wow. Doesn't that that say how much needs to be done? Exactly, exactly, yeah. And so nothing was done, only, as I said, they just cleaned the mould and painted over it. Um, And then shortly after that, a good few few weeks after that, um, I think it was about two months after that, I got um, a notice of leave. An eviction notice? Yes. Yeah. To say that he was taking the the landlord back for family, or sorry, the the property back for um, family purposes. But like I spoke with the agency and basically they said like that, that there's so much damage in the property you know there's, there's a lot of work to be done and obviously he's not willing to he's not willing that. to stump up the 10 grand do you believe this um reason that was given that he's given it to a family member do you believe that not not necessarily no do you think there'd be another lick of paint when you're gone and it'll be rented again to someone else oh definitely definitely yeah and do you continue to pay rent i i oh, i only pay the the half I am. I'm, I guess a hap um, substitute, so I, I only pay the hap. He gets the the hap as well. Um, now the rent uh, that's left over to pay, um, I don't pay that because the agreement that was made at, at the time of the case with the RTB, I wasn't to pay that until the repairs were done. Yeah. And obviously, there was no repairs done, so I still don't pay that. Yeah. Um, yeah. That so amount. the council is paying him for the conditions that you live in, and he's not willing yeah, to do anything about it. And of course, when the yeah. push came to shove and he was forced into a corner, he decided to evict you. Exactly. Simple exactly. as that. Yeah. What yeah. are you going to do? I honestly don't know. I've I've been onto the council so many times about this. Um, I've you know I've obviously 
sent in so many letters, my doctor's letters, medical form. Well, how is your um, health, incidentally? Oh, um, you know, mentally and physically, it's it's has it had a big effect on me as well. Um, physically, but before you moved I, into, I'll come to the I'll come to the mental one in a moment, the psychological. Yeah. But before you moved into that property, were you on steroids? No, never, well, never you had are steroids now? in my life. Um, I've have I have to take steroids on 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 a few occasions, yeah. But I'm permanently now on a steroid inhaler, um, permanently since moving into that property, which I never needed before. Be very, be very worried about lung it. damage to yourself and your daughter, you know. Yeah, it's it's very worrying. Yeah, I'm 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 just very concerned about it, to be honest. And nobody very can concerned. condemn the property or say that. Uh, um, you know, take him to court is a, a civil matter or something. Uh, no, no, not that I know of. Um, I, I'm just trying to do what I can. Obviously, I can't do anything regarding with the landlord because he's not willing to do any repairs. And how long have you got um, on the eviction notice? So the the problem then with the eviction notice is that I couldn't get it validated because he's not living in the country. So he was missing an apostle form. So then he sent a new notice after that and they couldn't validate that then because they said that the, he downloaded the wrong format from the RTB website. But very he's proceeding, yeah, so he's proceeding now on the basis that, that it is valid and, um, you know, that I still have to be out in November, out of property November. I've explained all this to the council. Um, they're kind of, they're, you know, they're saying we need to validate it and they're kind of ignoring the conditions. They're ignoring that side of it, even though I've sent everything in and I've recently had to appeal um, my my application under medical grounds as well because I know. that was... That's um, a, it's a total and utter disaster. It, yeah. it, you must be very worried though. Obviously, it would be getting very down. Very concerning, yeah, because I can't even stay there a full week because I'm just so worried about our health you know, especially with my respiratory and everything and, and my daughter, it's, you know, it's, it's mentally... This is becoming so commonplace to me, seeing people sending me photographs of the conditions that they're living in. Yeah. Yours isn't the first time, although it's some of the worst I that know. I've seen in a long, long time, I can tell you that. I know, and, and, I know. and to be honest with you, although this is not a solution, you shouldn't be living there. You just should not. Not at all. Not at all. It's like, it's, it, it's the kind of place that you wouldn't even want to squat you wouldn't break in there to stay there for free. Exactly. And that's why I don't even stay there for a week. I'm staying with friends and family because, you know, it, it's, and then, you know, I've no choice, obviously, to stay there a few, you know, most of the week, but it's just, it's very difficult. Do they build, is this all down to shoddy building where they were cutting corners back in the day and building rubbish? It's a very old building um, and it's a basement um, and at the back of it then it's, there's a t- small yard um, with very high walls around it moss yeah, covered in moss it's ideal very damp. For, yeah it's ideal for those moss yeah, and very, damp and mould yeah very very damp and then going down into the entrance then there's very very steep steps that I can't I have to walk sideways going down them 15 or 20 so I, years ago if I was talking to you about this on the air there'd be loads of people offering properties and apartments and flats and things like that yeah um, and uh, not not for free incidentally but they'd have them available they're not now though no you know no not at all no so you'd be if the, if nothing happens between now and November you present with a with a small daughter as as homeless Exactly, and I and I can't actually even 
apply to regarding the homeless section because of the, the fact paperwork, that the they, they won't validate the notice because um, because they're saying it's not the format isn't correct. But then the landlord has been difficult then because he's saying that. It is that he did download the correct one from I know, the website. I know, I know, I know. I hope that gets ironed out. But like, do you, do you have family? I think it's down in the Cove area. I won't say anything more than that. That yeah. is down in the in the Harbour area. But do you have family that can help, or what will you do? I I've no I I can't stay with anyone full time. There's no one I could actually stay with full time. Um, you know, there's health issues in the family home and. Unfortunately, there's no one can take us in. Full, it's not possible. No, yeah, no space. Yeah, no. there isn't always no. space. I know. No, it's difficult. Very difficult. <sighs> yeah, yeah. So you're in a bit of a limbo, a worrying limbo land. Yeah, very worrying. Very, and I'm, you know, in constant um, contact with the, the council about about. There you it. go, I'm and uh, and they're 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 fully aware of the kind of money they're paying to landlords like this individual. Yeah. I'm trying to plead as much as I can with them. You know, I have rep- um, people represent- representing me there every week and, you know, it, there's just nothing coming back, basically. Um, is there anything we can do in any way, shape or form, apart from the fact that people who are listening may be in an opportunity to help or something? What would you like? Um, if- I, I, I would be grateful, obviously. Look, the only thing that, that could help us is the situation, is if we could get out of where we, of that property because it, it, that's really, it's not good for our no, health. It's not, you know, no, we, we it's need, we really need to be out of that property. We need alternative accommodation. Like, I'm trying my best every day. I'm on daft every day trying to apply for properties, private rented, and there's nothing coming back. I know. I don't uh, mean to alarm you, but Edel House is one of the options they'll give you, or a bed and breakfast, or possibly a hotel room and a travel lodge or something. Yeah, but the, the, I, I think I, I'd have to get the, the notice validated. To, to sure, if it's not a validated qualify. notice, you should move out of there, incidentally, but if it's not validated, then the eviction isn't legal. I know what you're saying. I know. But even at that, the conditions the conditions are appalling, Shocking. as, as oh, you can see. Totally appalling. You know, Shocking. It's, it's, we shouldn't be, you know, we shouldn't be living there. Listen, uh, it's important. Yeah, it's important that people hear stories like yours and others, yeah. um, because it's very, very bad and only getting worse. Uh, other yeah. than that, though, I, I can I can only hope that things improve. Perhaps, I mean, is there any point in us getting on to the county council? Uh, that would be great. I'd be grateful if you could. It would, you know, that's that would that's be easy to do to see if they have any way, shape, or form of helping or expediting your case. Yeah, it's that worth would be, a shot. That okay. would, yeah, that, I would be grateful for okay. that. Okay, of course you would, because you're lovely. Thank you, Sandra. Stay Thank in touch. Thank you so much. Take care for now. Text 0868 104 106. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818 Red FM. It's indeed texts on the two different job seekers' um, photographs that were sent. One payment was for €584 Euro for the week and the other was for €220 Euro for the week. Very interestingly, the devil is always in the detail. Somebody says, job seekers is means tested. If someone is working in the house you live in, you pay le- you're paid less. It depends on how much money is coming into the house. Neil, did you check to see if there was a back payment on the receipt? Uh, tell Neil that the higher social welfare payment slip also states it's for six extra days. He's comparing apples and oranges. And people who originally put these posts online 
are trying to be misleading. Wow, uh, have people shared these online? I can tell you what, that's a dangerous thing to do because the people's names are actually on the Department of Social Welfare slips and that would be a GDPR issue. So the people whose names that were shared, they technically could sue anybody who shared the photographs of their payment slip. But you are right, the one for €584 actually does have extra days paid, six, six extra days paid. Maybe that's why there was the disparity. So thank you for that. You are right. You can't be sharing personal details of people like that online, lads, unless you want to get yourselves into trouble, because technically you could be sued and it would be very easy to find you, um, particularly if you posted on your own social media, Instagram or Twitter or something like that. So be aware of that. Text 0868104106. On car thefts and kids, reading repetitive texts over and over, um, nothing ever happens. What should be happening? Will this merry-go-round ever stop? I'm in my 50s. In the 80s, known young troublemakers were thrown into the back of a van by masked men. Were they? They were taken out to the country and given a beating. <laughs> were they? Maybe it's time to bring this back, says Pat. Vigilanteism, to see. Sorry now, not all teenagers are like this. It drives me mad when people put all teenagers in one box, call them all troublemakers. My son is almost 13. He goes to Douglas with his friends to the basketball court and always keeps in touch with me and lets me know where he is. All his friends are the same. A good good bunch of lads just passing away the time in the summer. It's the minority of teenagers that are causing trouble and problems, not the majority. Yeah, and uh, they're robbing people's cars or they're robbing people's Japanese imports or any kind of a car they can get their hands on and they're wrecking them and they're crashing them and they're dying. Uh, and they're also crashing into other innocent motorists. And of course, much of it then is recorded and they share it on TikTok, TikTok and they give themselves gang names. So that's where we're at. Uh, Marnie, you can have all the clubs and sporting organisations, but they only want children whose parents will be involved. Also, the relationship between parents and the children will determine if the child has an interest in even joining a club. And a final one, my sister has a young fellow who's eight and the way he speaks to his mother is ridiculous. If I spoke to my mother like that today, my dad would still give me a belt. Kids nowadays get too much. They get to go to the toy shops or sweet shops every time they're out and about. Nothing is a treat anymore. Gone are the days when... Uh, I was a child and you got toys and sweets on your birthday or Christmas. Kids nowadays get too much at a young age and therefore have no respect for their parents, let alone strangers they intimidate on the street. Love the show. Lots on the robbery of Alistair's property in the UK, which I'll come back to. But with regards to the heat around Europe, I'm getting texts from people who do listen overseas. Read out one from Athens earlier on. Here's another quick one. I'm lucky to be away this week on holidays in Italy and travelling by train. Everywhere we go, train stations, on the train and in the towns at night, there are armed police walking and patrolling. Never felt so safe. It just seems to highlight the total lack of Garda presence in Cork, both during the day and at night. We should be learning how other countries are keeping their citizens and tourists safe. P.S. Temperatures here, 33 degrees. So not too hot. Great to listen to your show while in Italy, says Kieran. So enjoy the trip and enjoy the house. I was talking about the Lord Mayor of Cork, Councillor Kieran McCarthy. Uh, very proud of him as, as Lord Mayor. He's a fabulous man and a real lover of Cork history. I was talking about it earlier on this morning. He just sent me a quick text to say, I have more free tours of the city coming up this week and next week. People can get details at kieranmccarthy.ie. The Lord Mayor, Kieran McCarthy. Can I go to another former Lord Mayor and another wonderful Corkonian, uh, one of the greats, Dino Cregan. Dino, good morning. 
Good morning, Neil. How are you? Man? I'm good, my pal. I'm good. Are you aware that over in America today it is National French Friday? What would they know yeah, about it? About, yeah, I, yeah. I well, know that I've all. It's nice to hear it, but I like talking about my own place. But and and that's important because in America they don't know what a good chip is. Everything is a shoestring fry, and they're frozen. You never see a freshly cut chip over there. Whereas here, we're spoiled for choice, right? The most important thing in our shops is to make sure the customer can see the chips can be freshly cooked in front of them. That we do that, and we've done that over the last fifty years. I love watching them cooking the chips, and I go to Bishopstown quite a bit. And uh, you get hungrier waiting for them to be bagged up. We sh- we ask people to share their favourite chippers. I'll come to that in a few minutes' time. What's the secret behind a good chipper chip? Do you know? A fresh bag of chips is very important, and it's very important that we have a proper potato. And over the last few years, we're doing very well in Ireland, and in Cork in particular, as regards our spots. That's so, very important. Okay, but how a do good, you know... A good chip what, is the start. What's, what's the best spot, though? The best spot at the, at the moment, but I mean, the, the Marine Piper is a very good spot, and it's been well provided for most times of the year, but the, the thing about it is that we need to make sure that the farmer can store us over a 12-month period, the same as England does us. So do you that's actually, do you, do you check the spuds for their quality when they come in? Oh, God, we do. That's very important. I have two sons. That's their job, to do that, to check the spuds. They're done every day. Firstly, we start at 6 o'clock in the morning. And from then on, the spots are being peeled. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, when you talk about the Maris Piper within Dino's, would would Murphy's in Blackpool be the same? Would Jackie Lennox oh, have would, the oh, same God, spot? They're an, old, they're an old character chipper. They're one of the best I ourselves. I'd be very conscious of them now. I'm very proud of them. You'd be very proud of them, even though they'd be competitors, I suppose. Fair play. Of course I would. Jesus, man, I can't serve everyone. <laughs> All I want is just me. Make sure that uh, that uh, the customer that we have, we mind them and we make sure we look after them. That's important. Did you ever have a bag of chips from Matty Coyley on Mailer Street, I wonder? I did, of course, Richard. That's years ago. God be with him. <laughs> God be with him. <laughs> I mean, what it a... the sp- old stock, to see, different times, different people. But the most important thing to do is to be able to eyeball the customer. And I love talking to the customer and I tell the gang and all our staff that works for us there's people working for us many many years now well okay so we, we know about we know about the actual importance of the potato what about the oil though all fat we use fat we don't use any oils it's all fat fresh fresh fat every five days all the pans have changed we have a special man that goes to all the shops and he changes the, the fat every five days That's five days five and would would people know if the fat wasn't changed or the oil I mean how would they know oh Jesus if you see a bad a bad chip coming up that's the fat and the oil that's not I mean the, the beef clipping that we use is very important to us and of course everything we do is all local yeah yeah. everything we get is local yeah would that be I mean, not just the spuds but the fish and the meat to us. where is it from the fish don't say the sea oh, they're coming from they're coming from West Cork all the time. Yeah. That's where we get them from. And yeah. of course we get some we get lovely fish from Belly Cotton. That comes we get that five days a week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how many how many of you I'm just trying to work out how many chippers you have now because I think the the whole family's the family, involved in pretty we much. We have a total of ten between all the families. Ten. Families. Yes, ten, yes. The son of two and we have yes. Go away. 
That's a lot. I mean, are they all under the Dino's name or the different, is of it? Of course they are, boy. Jesus, well, it's to be wanted. Ten of them? It has to be Dino's. Wait a second. So you got Douglas, you got Kinsale, you got Turner's Cross, you got Bishopstown, you got Blackpool. What Lovely am I missing? Grange. Grange. Ballincollig. <laughs> Seven. Don't, don't forget Blackpool or by that's someone else that's all the way. Right. Grange, Ballincollig, come I know on. We're going to be in Middleton and now, this time next year with the help. We, we, we'll have it built by then and then we'll be going to Dungarvan. Dungarvan? Down to Dungarvan, that's a 1.7 acre site. You're not allowed to open the Dinos outside Cork, you know that. Is that right? Who's going to stop these? Am I being threatened or something? Remember when Mick Mulcahy tried to stop the plaza in Balancholic with the wind-up? Do you remember that? I do, of course. He tried to stop you, but he couldn't. He couldn't do it, no. He caught me, though. He caught you, Ben. It's not easy to catch you, Dino Cregan. I don't need to be like yourself, I'll be honest enough. All right. Oh, without a doubt, boy. Without a doubt all day long. Come here, you were saying that you're bothered about the state of the city. Why is that? I never saw the city, city so bad. As a matter of fact, I was only watching last night other towns that's on TV, on television, looking very well, and Cork is not looking its best. I've seen it way better than what it is now. It's not a place to be now, and it's sad for me, took me as the former lawmaker of Cork saying that. I don't like that. We should have it much better than that. As in we what? That it's shabby sure or too much dereliction? It's a der- place to be, not a place not to be. Well, why do you say that? Is it dereliction? Is it shabby? Is it the state of the it's building? It's, it's, it's shabby. Before the, the training used to go on every morning. You know mm. what I mean? Yeah. Business is closing. Yeah. There's no buzz in the city. Yeah. I'd like to see it better. There's too many places not there anymore. And it's a, the impression that it's not a place to be, no. People yeah. are saying it to me, Neil. Yeah. And you can't say that they're not saying it to you, they are. They are, absolutely. I know, I get that. I was in town last night, though, however, and it was buzzing and it looked fantastic. And it was, I was almost surprised to see it and so many people out and about. It was rocking. It was like Oliver Plunkett Street was like the Ramblas uh, and Barcelona. So that was nice. But do you think that, that, that City Council are responsible? How would you compare City well, Council I mean, to your day. There's people are being paid for to do their job and they should be doing it. There's, I don't know, I'll be asking enough questions at council level to see what's been done. It's just not nice. It's not looking well. There's less police and there's less cleansing. And we want to, we want to lead by example and the city council should be doing that. Yeah. In our time, that's the way we've done it. And if they didn't do it, we knew, they knew about it from people at council level. Yeah, yeah. City councillors. Yeah, you, they'd hear about it from the likes of your good self, isn't it true? Well, I mean, we should always make sure need more shops to promote local business. We do that. I'd be, I'd be watching you. There's people, in, people at Cork have a great attitude about themselves. Yeah. Just give them the opportunity to do it. Yeah, good words of advice. Good I mean, for instance, advice. nobody living, how many people live in your city centre level? Very, very few because the incentive is not there. Yeah. You go to other city, go to other counties and they give them the incentives to open over, over businesses and things like that. It's not happening at cock level. Get people back people into the city, in living in the city. Place. Do you remember a day when there was lots of people living in the city? Of course there was, and we should give the incentive to do it, Neil. Yeah. yeah. It's very important that you give the incentive, and they should be granted. 
to do it and get the tax back later on the houses. For instance, if you have a property in, 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 in the city centre, you should make sure that you have people living up over it and get the incentive. The incentive should be there to live over it. They say something I mean, about emergency about exits and things We're talking like. about people without accommodation yeah. and there's millions of square feet of idle property in all city centre areas. Yeah, millions of square I know, feet. I know, I know. Above all of the businesses, I know, I know. I mean, I know. we should be given a local incentive to make sure that we can do that and that should be coming from city council level. You should never have retired from politics. Do you know that? Well, I mean, I, I, I'm 83, but I, I think I'm 52. Keep it up, keep it up. Listen, I know we're talking about chips this morning, but before I let you go, I got a text in here from the good people of Carrigaline. They want to know, when yes. is Dino coming to Carrigaline? You know something? I won't be able to draw me bread next. <laughs> Give me a break. Right? Give me a break. <laughs> well, listen, enjoy the day that's in it today. Have a bag of chips for yourself. Me, I know. One more thing I want to say. It's important that we give the incentive to the local farmer. We're getting great spuds the last two or three years. If we could get them over a 12-month period, it would be great. But we need to give them a tax, a tax benefit and an incentive to, to store the spuds so that they can be kept dry over a 12-month period. Well said. We're spoiled for chippers in Cork, and we want the best of spuds. Oh, Fair God, play yeah, to there's some great chippers in Cork by Jackie Lennox. God be with him and his, and his holy wife. God, they were very good to me when I stopped them. Fair they play were, to them. Well done. He, all his family are second best to me. I love them. I love them. You love everything about Cork. That's why you're so proud of it, and that's why we love you. Mind well, yourself, I love it. you know. I mean, why wouldn't I? It's, it's, it's a great city. I mean... When people come to Cork and they find you're going over the same bridge twice, they want to know why you're doing it. <laughs> <laughs> and I explained to them that there's a South Channel and a North Channel. Right. <laughs> and the North Channel is six times more water than the South Channel. I didn't know that. <laughs> Maybe they're cleaner on the North side, north side then. <laughs> well, well I, I tell you something. They're great character people. You want to just walk the while to listen to them. Because oh, yeah. every one of them are witty. Very great witty. stories. Great stories. And you have the best of them. Look after yourself, Dino. Lovely catching up as always. Nina, Take care, I'm my talking friend. talking to you, my God bless you. Uh, me too. Fair play, pal. Uh, so we did ask online as uh, with regards to the best chips in Cork. And of course, Dino's featured. Big time it did. But some of the other ones. Tasty Snacks in Churchfield. The Riverside Diner in Mallow. Enzo's in Formoy, the Mill Grill in Middleton, Frank's in Carrigtool, Murphy's in Blackpool, very popular actually, Murphy's in Blackpool, Fast and Fresh in Passage, Chip and Phipps in Crosshaven, Trawler Boys in Ballancolic, Jackie Lennox's on the Bandon Road, Catch of the Day in Kinsale, Fitzy's in Ratcormac, another one very popular, Golden Fry in Ballancolic, the Roma Grill in Yall, Barty's in Balafihan, the great Barty's, Day St. Munch in Mayfield, Casey's in Douglas, Catch of the Day, Cargill and Sorrento's in Cove, Cohan's in Middleton, Denny's in Glanmire, Ledger's in Mahan, the Kentucky in Mallow, the Wimpy in Formoy, Chunky Chip in Clonakilty, another great one, Luigi in Mitchellstown, the Crick Fry in Glanworth, Kylie's in Mailer Street, now under new management and owners, of course. I think it's the Blue Haven in Kinsale, has it? Doyle's in Yall, Connie Hurley's in McCroom, Lennox's in Middleton, and many, many Dinos. Let me get another quick call on this, actually, and I possibly will end up coming back to it tomorrow. Judy, good morning. Good morning. Okay, good morning. Um, what makes a good chip? Oh, the Fry and Ballancolic <laughs> on Station Road in Ballancolic. What's so great about them? Um, well, there's a lot. Um, 
first of all, I just want to say the food there is amazing. The staff are just so friendly. There's a guy, Trevor Kelleher, and he's there years. He's just the friendliest guy. But every Thursday night as well as their food and staff being amazing, every Thursday night they give about enough food to feed about 40 of the homeless in around Cork City. Go away every week. Every single week without fail. Yeah, I saw um, I, I saw a homeless group on Patrick Street yesterday with long, long trestle tables of food and clothing and footwear and everything in the city on a Wednesday night. Yeah. Yeah, well, we have a... I set up a small group there about... Well, just over two years ago. We're just a quiet group, Neil. There's three of us in it. We're called Don't Give Up. We go out on a Thursday night. We set up outside Simon and we don't accept cash from anybody, so we rely totally on donations. And Well, good luck and with that, and good luck with your efforts, but it's the Fry and Balancholic that helps you oh with the food. Oh, my God, she's amazing. So what she do is you, amazing. What, 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 makes the, what, what are their chips like? They're everything, all their food is absolutely gorgeous. Their pies, the potato pies are just... We have a queue every Thursday night for the potato pies, the battered sausages, the onion rings. Um, the queue is just unreal. And it was so funny. Last week, um, Joanne was on holidays and I had to attempt with a neighbour of mine to make the battered burgers and sausages and onion rings. And the people were saying, uh, is this the same chipper? <laughs> Stick to what you're good at. God, there must be nothing more unhealthy than a battered burger, I'd say. My God, it must be awful for the cholesterol and the heart. (laughs) No, no, no. (laughs) But uh, yeah, no, the food is absolutely beautiful. And I just think that, you know, the way things are at the moment, that she's also willing to do that every single week for about 40 people and quietly. Well done, well done. Well said. Not at all, Julie. Thanks for that. Appreciate it. The Fry and Balancholic. Take care. Keep those coming. Text 0868104106. We'll come back to it uh, in the morning. Um, Clearly, again, I've run out of time. But please give a big shout out to our father, Sean Toomey, who has a butcher shop in the North Main Street in Yall. He's open 50 years today, the 13th of July. A 50th anniversary for Sean Toomey butchers. He was 19 when he came from Dungourney to open his own butcher shop in Yall and as they say the rest is history. We're a family of five children. We were all reared in the house over the shop for nearly 30 years where our very patient mother worked just as hard to keep us all in tow while dad worked below in the shop. We have the best memories living there. Our brother Stephen has now taken over the reins but dad is never too far behind him. He still has that spark and energy. You can hear him down the street laughing and having the banter before you even enter the shop. God only knows when he will fully retire but he would miss all the great loyal customers that have kept him going all these years and great appreciation goes to the people he all for keeping the business going for 50 years. He doesn't like any fuss and will kill us for sending this email in but 50 years of hard work and the fact that a small business is still going is a great credit to him. Here's to another 50. Thanks dad and a big thanks to our great mother too from all your lads and daughter Nia have sent me that lovely email and it is true in a time of fierce competitiveness certainly for butchers because they're going up against your Tesco's and your Dunn's and your Super Values and your Lidl and your Aldi and everything else like it um, that uh, small independent 
butchers like Sean Toomey's could be thriving 50 years on. Happy anniversary. The Neil Brenderville Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 0818-104-106. Right across the summer, we're giving away family passes, lads, uh, to various tourist attractions. And you should download the um, Explore Cork app if you're heading out and about of a day or going on a bit of a scove. It's got 850 different places to see and do around Cork. And every day, we're giving away summer passes for various locations. Today, just like yesterday, I want to give away the remaining of the uh, summer family passes for the Butter Museum up at Shandon. So our phone lines are open for that one on 0818-104-106. I think I have uh, something in the region of four or five of those passes to give away today. We'll take callers 9, 10, 11, 12 and 13. But Dominic Moore is the digital content officer up at the Butter Museum in Shannon. They've got a fantastic um, website, actually, uh, to tee up your visit. So do check that out. Dominic, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? I'm great. I wish I had more time, but I know that, um, you know, I've been to the Butter Exchange Museum, and while we could talk about the export of pork, beef, lamb, vegetable, out of Cork from the early 1700s, let's just mm-hmm. deal with the Cork Butter Exchange, because it was a massive export, wasn't it, all over the world? Huge, huge. As you say, it started around 1770. That was when we officially, it officially became on the map. There might have been you know, a place called the Butter Place or the Butter Trading Place before that. And there is kind there is there's an old ballad actually that goes back way back into the sixteen hundreds that talks about a butter place up there. But seventeen seventy and lasted all the way right up to nineteen twenty four, nearly a hundred years ago. Wow. And at it at its peak, which would have been around eighteen eighty, there would have been What's the number? 440,000 firkins or barrels of butter exported in that year. So the, bar- so the barrel of butter, who br- did, you, did you make the butter there or was it brought, made there that you graded it or what? Yeah. Basically, farmers or suppliers would have made the butter at home. Now, home, Neil, could be as far away as Cahazavine. So you're talking about people who were in the surrounding hinterland of Cork and in the Golden Vale, uh, surrounded by the mountains and the rain washing the nutrients down into the Great Central yeah. Plain. Yeah. You're talking about them coming along the butter roads from as far as, away, as I said, as Cahazavine, Mill Street and West Cork, coming in all roads leading to Shandon. And in they came by donkey with wow. two barrels on, on either, hanging off either side of the donkey, they would have made the butter at home. They would have brought it in to be exchanged in the butter exchange. They would have received an empty firkin from the firkin crane, wow. which, which is where the barrels would have been repaired and, and weighed, the crane also being a weighing scale, if you know what I mean. Yeah. The firkin crane, that's where the name comes from. And off they went again. And these firkins would have been made of sycamore or beech and, and tied <laughs> solid then with osier twigs. And who paid them for those firkins of butter? Well, they were essentially they were they would have been high. Oh, the butter exchange committee, the oh. exchange paid them for the butter, and then the exchange would have exported that butter as far away as Australia, the Americas, the Caribbean, India. That far? How oh, do you get mm-hmm. butter to the Caribbean or to India? But they did nonetheless. Yeah, but and you you salted really heavily. You know, it, it, it could have been up to twelve percent salt. 
um, and obviously made with really, really, those firkins were very good. Like the volume, you might have gotten about 56 pounds of butter into a firkin, 56 to 70 pounds of butter, and they were top quality barrels. Okay, so you if know, somebody were to visit, if somebody to visit the butter museum in Shandon of a day, what will they see? Um, essentially, we have artifacts on display as well as audiovisual uh, material. So, really, what you want to do? We are, we we asked the man, Neil. We asked the man: Do people want to be taken from A to Z on a story, or do they want to be dropped in the middle of it? And the man said they want to be dropped in the middle of it. So, <laughs> essentially, you make your own experience. We have put artifacts on display. Uh, we have an upstairs and a downstairs. Um, we have we have bulk butter from a thousand years old. Oh my god! We have tinned butter, or certainly examples of of a t- of tin uh, that went over to soldiers in the First World War, made by dailies of Cork and Barretts of Cork. Um, we have a a, a, rep- a firkin, an actual firkin itself. And it tells as much of a history of the city as it does about the butter, doesn't it? It tells you of how Cork was then over the centuries and the different industries and businesses and the layout of the Absolutely. city. That bog yeah. butter, I'm just um, mm-hmm. curious about that. That is that that you mean bog as in thousands of years old butter? Yes. Yep. Butter a thousand one thousand years old. Would it be spreadable and edible? Well, they have tried it. They have they we had there as a about 260 fines of bog butter in, in the country, there has been, and they have tried it, and, and the, ver- the verdicts have gone from it's okay to it's terrible. <laughs> i got to ask you about one, though, because I'm, I'm out of time. But in our house, when I was very small, our butter was C&K. Is that cork yeah. and Kerry butter? That's cork and Kerry butter, and we have a lovely example of, the, of that butter wrapper in the museum. I've seen it there and I'm actually looking at it on the screen here. That's they're yeah. all long gone now, but who, who was C and K for instance? Any C&K, any idea off the top you had? C and K would have been Cork and Kerry Butter. Uh, I think it might have been it might have come out of Dodles of Manny. I'm not too sure exactly where it came from. Would you say it was but, very popular in Cork at the time? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I, I got a spin from a taxi driver who said that was the only thing they ate, and he, he lived in McCartan's Villas, and he said he'll never forget the taste of Cork. And we only had Cork and Kerry. It was the only thing that we ate as well. I thought it was the only butter yeah. in the world. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And there are several of these, like, these, I know we're nearly running out of time now, Neil, but Steve, there were there were 150 of these little creamies dotted oh, all no, over Ireland. That's fantastic. And it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, they're, it, it's, a, it's, it's, it was a pity to see them in one way being amalgamated, because you know you're losing that those memories that you're that you're, yeah, you've just described. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're relics of a disappearing rural world. Well, they're all there to be seen in the Butter Museum. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah. Listen, yeah. I wish I had more time, Dominic, because it's a fascinating story. You're fascinating as how you tell it. But I'm out Thank of time. You. I'm going to give away the family passes for people to go and experience it for themselves. All right. Thank you, Neil. Much yourself. It's well worth the visit, lads. It really is. That's Dominic Moore from the Butter Museum in Shandon. So we have those passes to give away. The opening hours for the Butter Museum, Monday to Saturday, 10 a.m. in the morning to 4 o'clock. It's open on Sundays, 11 to 4 as well. So get dialing on that one. They may well be gone now, those family passes, but you'd never know. And if you have stories of nostalgia to share, text 0868104106. Email neil at redfm.ie. Have a good day. I'll see you tomorrow. For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts.